get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is lined into left center field base hit. He tried to change up on him again and it didn't work. Here comes Yaz. He'll score. It's six to five. Wilmer base hit left field. Estrada did not get a great break. They're going to send him anyway. Here comes the throw. Estrada slides in safely. The ball hit him and Wilmer on the throw goes to second. Seven to five Giants. You got to finish that game. That's the reaction. You got to lead, end it. I don't even know if you would call it a stretch anymore, right? I mean, it's just bad baseball. We've been playing bad baseball for a while now. So do I think we can play better baseball with the players we have in here? Sure. That, that remains to be seen, and we're already three months in. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start with this, that audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. We were on the air during the vast majority of that game yesterday. We got home as it was in like the seventh or eighth inning. At that point, I will be upfront and honest. I thought the Cardinals were winning. When they walked the first batter in the ninth inning, it felt inevitable because I've watched that game probably four or five different times this year. Not exactly the same recipe, but I was at the game that they lost against Shohei Otani when he had, I think it was 13 strikeouts. It was a career high for him. And then the Cardinals found a way to get to the bullpen and they found a way to scratch across enough runs to really win that game. And then Geo imploded and the Cardinals lost to the Los Angeles Angels at home. I think that was the worst loss of the season, honestly. Last night might have topped Until that yesterday. one. Yesterday might have topped that one. So when they walked the leadoff guy in the ninth inning, when Geo walked him, I thought to myself, I looked over at my wife and I said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but they're losing this baseball game. At that moment, it felt inevitable to me that they were going to find a way to get to 15 games under 500, losing 12 of their last 15 and losing their first game in which they hit a grand slam since September of 2018. All of that is what ensued. Alex, what did you think in the moment yesterday? I'm surprised you were as optimistic as you were thinking that they had it in the ninth because the moment Tommy Edmond hit the grand slam, I said, they're probably going to lose this game because they don't hold on to leads. I was thinking, watching San Francisco come back, the Cardinals do not have the ability to do what the San Francisco Giants just did to them in terms of being down by a couple of runs, bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth and say, hey, we're back in this. And boom, one swing of the bat, you're in. The Cardinals don't have that ability. But now we've learned they don't have the ability to hold on to leads. We were so excited when they won. We don't have an ability. No, they don't. We were so excited, us, that they the last four games they won were 
low score, close games. Because, hey, the pitching's figured it out. Well, welcome to pitching imploding. You get the grand slam and think the offense is back. No, then they don't score a run once the starting pitcher the funny leaves. Thing is starting pitching's been good. Even it's, yesterday. It's the relief pitching. Good good work. I, I thought it was going to implode on them when we watched that first inning here together with Jordan Montgomery. He looked horrible. Didn't have command. Was getting hit all over. Like, it was terrible in that first inning. And then just like Jack Flaherty in two outings ago, the way that he was able to adjust, he came out and shoved the next five innings. He handed over to the bullpen. They do their job the first couple of innings, and then you implode again with Giovanni Gallegos, who, listen, I saw some criticism of bringing in Hicks into that spot and then not bringing him back in. They did their jobs, and you go to Gio in that spot because he's your closer. He's been one of the most consistent relievers in baseball, and he lost it for you. you it's what Katie told us earlier this week. If it's not one thing, it's the other yep. with this Cardinals team. You can't have two good things at once with this Cardinals team, and this implosion against the Giants in a game that you should have won is to me the shutout loss in the Arizona Coyotes game against the Blues where it was like you gotta be kidding me this this is how you're going to lose there's there's no recovering from something like this and then you get into the locker room post game and I mean it's it's a mess right now and I thought it showed perfectly of how they went about it in that San Francisco loss so let's hear from Ollie Marmel you mentioned the post game comments that is as angry as I think we have heard Ollie after a game two days ago, he came out and he was like, listen, these guys are going to figure it out. They're going through a tough time right now. I don't know what more to say. It's rough, but I believe in these guys. It's going to get better. And then yesterday, everything flipped on its head again. First, he was asked if he addressed the team after the game, because honestly, what are you supposed to say? There's nothing to address at some point. You just get the job done. We would trust the club enough. So that's pretty much what he had to say. Nope, there's nothing to say. They got to figure it out eventually. Then he was asked about what the next step is for the Cardinals after yet another devastating loss. At some point, you just have to do something about it. You keep getting punched in the face, punched back. Um, You don't score after the third. You have the lead in the ninth. Finish the game. Alex, I don't know what else there is to say. He's 100% correct. This was yesterday. Now, you can hate Ollie Marmel. You can think he's the worst manager in the world. That game was on the players. Oh, yeah. You had the opportunity early to and kill him. You, the, the classic. Stab, jam the knife into the brain and kill the opponent. Like, the, and stop with this. He should have kept Jordan Hicks in the game longer. Like, can I, we stop with that? I'm not even talking about the managerial decisions. I'm, I'm not even entertaining it. I don't want to hear it. Text line, get out. Like, stop. This wasn't about the manager yesterday. If you think he's been the problem for the entire season, fine. We can disagree there, but I don't much care. Yesterday was about the players. Yesterday, the players didn't execute. Nolan Arenado said that after the game. Said, hey, listen, we're not doing our part. We're not executing. This is on us. He took full responsibility as he should. I don't know what more there is to say about this team, man. It's the best players. It's the worst players. It's everything in between. They all stunk. They all stunk yesterday. They don't, they don't have the killer mentality. And it's not even that San Francisco Giants game. It's the Jack Flaherty moment. When you try to start a fight, nobody responds from it. You've seen a lot of it after game after game after game. And the comments tell you everything. Well, we don't really know what's going to happen here. Whereas the comments are like, yeah, we're good. We'll find a way out of this. You can't say that anymore because, well, you're, fr- you're frankly not finding your way out of this. But I think we- the problem is, though, Alex, like with the comments, with the play, I'm with you. And with the response to the Jack Flaherty moment, I'm with you. You got to show some fire. A little bit of brimstone there would be nice. But 
Like, I don't know what you're supposed to say after these games but anymore. There's nothing more same, to be said. Same with what happened with the Blues. At one point, it was, okay, like, you can continue to say we're going to turn it around, and at some point, we're going to figure this out. At some point, you, you're you not going to figure but it out. You just got to say that. They've what, recognized- what do you say if you're a player? Because you've got 100 games left. It, put yourself in their oh, shoes for a, a player, second. If I'm a player, I'd get in the shower and get the hell out of the locker room as quick as possible, sure, to be honest be, with you. But then you're going to be criticized for no, not I showing mean, your face. You we saw this with the Blues. Like, you, you have to say certain things after the game, and they know it, and they're saying all of the right things. But that's what I'm talking about. You've gotten one point where it's like you can stay the optimistic route of we'll find a way out of this, we'll find a way out of this. But when you don't find your way out of it, like for that two-week stretch last month, it felt like they found their way out of it. But then once you go back into this this, this same cycle, it's the dejected loss. It's, well, there's uh, we have no answers for it. We have to execute. That's when you're completely lost as a player. And I don't think you can come back from that. I'm with you, but in the locker room, you have to believe that you're going to come back from it. Because if you don't, man, what the hell am I doing with the next three months of my life? Like my livelihood. Ask the Royals. Sure, but there's expectations here. The Royals knew coming into April that they were coming to the ballpark every day with zero belief that there was going to be anything meaningful coming into the season. Same thing for the Oakland Athletics. The two teams that are worse than you, the only two, They both knew coming into the season, we're playing this out because we want to get paid our million dollars. And then we go home at the end of the year and we hope the next year is a little bit better. Or we hope that when we move to Las Vegas, we've got better opportunities ahead of us. Like, that's it. The Cardinals were different. This is a this is a disaster. This is a train wreck. This is a team that had real tangible expectations coming into the season where Alex, you said, I don't even care what happens during the regular season. The only thing that matters is that this team shows up when it matters the most in the postseason. You were, you basically could have fast forward. Do you do the simulate through the regular season thing that you do in Madden movies? Yeah. You fast forward to the ending and you say, let's see how this thing ends. And that's it. That's all that matters. Unfortunately, you got to the end and realized, Oh, there's no reveal here. The, The ending doesn't actually exist. It was an alternate universe where the movie just halfway through finished. And when you get to that place as a player, I, I don't know what you're supposed to say. So, like, the comments don't even matter to me anymore. No, it doesn't. If anybody's mad about anything that's said post game, like, who cares? They're not going to say anything that makes you feel any better. They're not going to say anything that makes you feel any worse because the games are what matter. And that's where the frustration sets in for those players. I, I mean, I've had the conversations in the past with multiple guys individually where it's like i mean the frustration sets up because what else are we supposed to say like Braden shen has done it multiple times with me where i've talked to him and it's like yeah you could tell you're getting frustrated it's not frustrated it's frustrated because we know we have to answer the same question but there are no answers the answers come when we actually perform and we're not performing but yet we have to answer the questions every single time and it feels like every game there's a moment there's a moment where it's like okay this could be how you get things back on track that with the edmund grand slam yesterday The Edmund Grand Slam the other day with the Jordan Walker, the bounces off of the lip. The other day before that, it was the Jack Flaherty getting in a fight. Like, you've had countless opportunities to take advantage of a moment. The other day where they had the uh, the Ellie De La Cruz game, right, where that's how it's going to be remembered now. Before that, it was like, oh, Cardinals played pretty well today. Solid all-around baseball, and then boom, just implosion. It's seemingly every night there's a thing or two that you can point to and say, ah, that's why they lost. Ah, didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And it was again yesterday. They had the opportunity and they failed to execute. And, and I think the most frustrating part about all of it is, is to what we said earlier is it's always something different, whether it be 
a bad defensive play leads to runs. The offense doesn't capitalize on scoring. The offense doesn't put away the Giants like they should have yesterday when they get to the bullpen in the fourth inning. Then the bullpen ends up imploding. Like, if there was one significant issue that was the reason you lost just about every game, you can point to it and go, okay, there's the issue. Now let's see how we fix it. They can't fix when everything is broken. That, that's just too hard for a baseball team to overcome. They have now blown 24 leads this season. They have only come back to win eight times this year. They had 40 comeback victories a year ago, so they're on pace for less than half of that in 2023. I read this today from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I believe it was Derek Gould's piece, if I'm not mistaken. He went back and went through kind of what you were just talking about there, T-Bone, of the different ways that this team has found a way to lose over the last week. They won the first game by, or the, excuse me, they won the first game behind a strong start from Montgomery and an offense that scored seven runs off the opposing starters. Since then, they lost in a myriad of fashions. They lost when Miles Michaelis had a shaky start compounded by defensive miscues behind him. They lost a one-run game when the deciding run was scored without the opponent getting a hit in the inning. They lost a one-run game coughed up by the final uh, third of a pair of relief pitchers and missed opportunities at the plate late. Tuesday night, they were trounced when starter Jack Flaherty gave up six runs in fewer than five innings. And then yesterday, the bullpen allows five runs in order to give that game up. It's just something new every night. Defense, starting pitching, rotation, offense not coming through with runners in scoring position, offense not coming through in general. It's something different every single night. And what it amounts to is a team that is now 15 games below 500 for the first time in 2023, a team that has lost 12 of their last 15 games and a team that is searching for answers and doesn't seem to be able to find them. Coming up next, Nolan Arenado had some scathing comments earlier today in Katie Wu's piece over at The Athletic. I'm not sure if they talked about these on the morning show or not, but I think these are the single most revealing quotes that we've heard from any player so far this year. We'll tell you what they were, what they mean in the long run. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We just don't execute. Like I said earlier, we don't execute. Um... This has nothing to do with the coaches. This has to do with the players, and those players, we don't execute. Um, I'm not good with runners in scoring position. We're not getting outs when we need to, putting guys away. We're not playing defense. I mean, we don't execute, and uh, that's why we're playing the way we're playing. That was a very frustrated Nolan Arenado yesterday after the game as the Cardinals lose once again. They are now 15 games under 500. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to get involved in the show, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved. Alex, Nolan Arenado had some pretty strong quotes after the game yesterday. I thought his quotes before the game that he gave to Katie Wu of The Athletic were even stronger, though. I want to read a couple of these to you. If you guys want to see the full piece, Katie's piece today is well worth your time. It's got quotes from Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Adam Wainwright as well on Ollie Marmel and the team at large. So go read that over in The Athletic. But here's a few quotes that we pulled from it. This comes from Nolan Arenado to Katie Wu pregame yesterday. I think our coaches are doing a great job. I really do. I know the first thing that happened usually when people are playing bad is that the coaches are the ones to get under scrutiny and they get the blame. 
our coaches are well prepared. They're constantly making sure that we're working. And if we're not, they're out there saying, hey, do you want to work? Do you want to get out there? The coaches aren't the problem. He then continued. My personal opinion, I think Ollie Marmol has been dealt a tough hand the last two years. I really do. Last year, we were young. And if it wasn't for the team signing Albert Pujols, I don't know where we would have been. It's a young team again this year. It's hard to win with a lot of young players. Doesn't mean we can't because we've done it. We did it last year and we can go out and do it again. But we really have to step up and play at a higher level. Ollie, in my opinion, has been great. The coaching staff has been great. I just think it's not easy to come in and try to put this together, end quote. That was one of the most revealing quotes that we have seen by any Cardinals player, executive, or coach all season long. Again, that came from Nolan Arenado. Credits Katie Wu for getting that from him prior to the game yesterday. Let me start with this, Alex. My single biggest takeaway from that, Nolan Arenado is not so subtly calling out the front office. And I would be very curious if you got him on truth serum for a day, what his thoughts are on what he was sold in the offseason when John Mosellock went out to speak with him to confirm that he was going to be opting in and how that conversation compares to what the Cardinals plan was during the offseason. I would be fascinated to hear what his honest opinion is on what happened versus what he was sold. I also think there's some stuff in this quote that's just not true. The youth thing last year, I think was more of a legitimate gripe about the team. Now they were winning, so nobody was uh, upset about it. They were talking about how they've got this great mix of young mixed with the veterans and how like you've got Yachty and Albert and Wayno and Nolan and Goldie. And then all of these young guys that are bringing so much energy to the team. It was considered to be something that was a positive last year. And now we're talking about it as if it was a negative and it wasn't. I totally disagree with him on that in that regard. However, there is some truth to the fact that young guys go through more dry spells and it's tougher for them to adjust because they've just never been through it before. So I do, to a degree, understand what he's saying about that. We talked to Ollie about that last year, actually, when they were going through some of the struggles midway through the season. You had Newt Barr and Donovan going through their first real struggles at the big league level. Same thing was true for Gorman. Like, to a degree, I understand it. It's just not a fair criticism of why that team ended up struggling in the postseason, for example. That's on Nolan and Goldie. This year... I don't even think it's a fair critique. I don't think you can look at this team and say they're struggling because they are young. Wilson Contreras has been one of the guys that's been struggling the most. He's been in the big leagues for eight years now. Dylan Carlson is no longer that young when it comes to his development curve. He's been in the big leagues since the 2020 season. Lars Newtbar has been in the big leagues for three years. Paul DeYoung has been in the big leagues at this point for seven years. Tommy Edmonds has been in the bigs for five years. Donovan doesn't play like he's a young player. Goldie's been in the big leagues for 13 years. Nolan Arenado has been in the big leagues for 11 years. Like, who are these young players that he's referencing that are going through these dry spells? Some of the youngest players on the team have been some of their best players on the team this year. Nolan Gorman's in his second year, his first real true full season. He's been one of their best players. One of the guys that's helping them offensively, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, is Jordan Walker. He's in his first year in the big league. He's got the highest batting average on the team. So spare me with that. That is nonsense, and that we can just set aside for a moment because it's ridiculous to criticize the fact that they're young when they're not. The average age of the Cardinals is 28 years old, which is the same as the Braves. It's older than the Rays, the Reds, the Orioles, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers. So I I just I outright reject that statement there. 
However, when you look bigger picture on what he's saying, Alex, and you think about what it means for his place with the Cardinals and what he is saying about the front office, what did you make of this quote that he gave to Katie Wu? I mean, exactly what you just pointed out there. I mean, for me, I also went right to the youth thing and got a little irritated. I mean, I love Nolan Arenado. I was Mr. 95%, but... When you bring the youth factor into this, I just think that's making excuses for why you're playing poorly this season, last year and this year. But to the Mo side of it, I'm, I don't know what he could have been told that sold him differently on what this roster was because it's performance-based. Like if they sold them on, hey, we're going to add offense to our catching position so that you have another bat. Well, they did that. They went out and got the best bat available that they could afford for that position, and that was Wilson Contreras. He has not performed. Now, was Nolan Arenado sold that, hey, this pitching staff is going to be upgraded this season? Because if that's the case, then yeah, I can understand where he's coming from there. But the pitching has actually been better right now. So even the Mo thing, I I agree with, with Nolan that when you look at it and say, yeah, it's not easy for Ali to try and put this together and it's struggling right now, but I would push back a little bit on the most side of it from his perspective also because they did go get Wilson Contreras, and that was the biggest upgrade there. And when you look at all the pitching options that were available, we've discussed this, it's not making much of a difference for your roster this season. So once again, it kind of gets tennis balls swatted right back at you across the net of, well, if you're going to say that the roster may not have been the way that you thought it was going to be, There's really not much else out there that would have made a difference. This is now performance based on all of your players. Now, if he's talking a little bit about the outfield that he was promised was going to be a big piece of this and all three have been injured and not been successful, fine. Maybe you could have done an upgrade there. Once again, performance-based. Yeah, the, the tough part I have with the comments is him th- throwing like last year's team as being a problem that Ollie had a tough hand that was dealt. Last year's team was a good team. And so I, I don't get that complaint. This feels kind of like comments that we would have seen from Nolan Arnato when he was in Colorado, where he was kind of disgruntled, not happy with the front office when things weren't going right. When they were winning, guess what? You didn't hear Arnato talking to the media like that in Colorado. But when they were losing, who was he pointing the finger to? The front office. And look, some of that is fair from both here in St. Louis and his time in Colorado. But I, I just have a hard time looking at his comments and going, man, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. One, I totally am with you guys on the age thing. They're they're not they're not as young a team as he's selling them to be. And, and two, like him saying last year's team was a tough hand for Ali Marmol, that was a good team last year. So I I, I don't know what Mo would, would have what told him in the year, offseason. Though? Let's focus on this year because we're, we're all on the same page with the youth thing. Like he's just wrong. It's it's not true. What he's saying there is he's looking for an excuse. He's looking for an out, and it's not true. I, I mean, I tend to kind of side with Alex. Like I, I don't know what he was sold in the offseason that ended up like, like he had every opportunity to leave if he didn't like what was sold to him in the offseason. And I have a tough time thinking Mo lied to him in the offseason. I really do. I, I don't think he Unless was like... Unless he told them payroll was going up significantly. I mean, and then he told us that the payroll the was going up. And then pulled the rabbit out of their hat to Nolan and said, oh, hey, look over here. $17.5 million are going to Adam Wainwright. I mean, maybe that's the case, but I, I think Arnado would be able to read kind of BS if Mo was telling it to him. So I, I don't think that's that the case. he told that we bought it. He did say it at the he said, media availability. He said it will now, be going up and it will not be insignificant. And, and then payroll until, did not go up in a significant and way And it wasn't all. until spring training started that Mo reiterated, oh, well, payroll went up because of Adam Wainwright. So you had an entire offseason of thinking payroll was going yeah, up. I, I, I don't know, because like, I, I can't imagine him going and having the meeting with Arnado and going, payroll's going up, we're going to go, because I think he probably said the same thing you said, we're going to go add offense to the catcher's position and get that third impact bat. 
And then I don't think he said we're going to add a significant piece to our pitching staff. I think, I think he, he told said them we're bringing we back get Wainwright. Pitching too. And, and I could see, and I think we've kind of tinfoiled this on the show before, of I think maybe they did have that intention and they probably may have sold that to Arenado. Yep. And then the Valley Sports and Diamond Sports issue popped up and it kind of restricted their payroll. But even, even then, like I. The comments from Arnado to me are frustrating because, dude, you you agreed to come back here. Whether you want to say Mo's uh, selling point to you was off or not, you agreed to come back. So I I don't want to hear the complaints about the front office not doing enough. I I think the front office is done. This year, they are bad, yes. And right now, we're getting this. They had the right idea, I think. We're getting trying. Talking about how, oh my God, you guys are insufferable. They said payroll was going up and it's not gone up. No, it did go up. They said that payroll was going up in the sense that we thought it was all going to be free agent signings and trades for other salary. It went up. But it went up in the mo direction of it went up to Adam Wainwright. He he he. It's a technicality. Yeah, it, it didn't actually go up. Like so, they're they're BSing about that. Like it didn't in a meaningful way. What they said and what actually happened. It's just disingenuous. Right. It's intellectually dishonest for them to suggest that what they promised at the beginning of the offseason to fans is actually what happened. It didn't. Like that's just it. It, it didn't. <laughs> they're lying about that. And they're trying to play it off as a technicality because it went up by like two, three, four million bucks. It's it's not real. So it, by inflation, they didn't go up the same same direction as the rest of Major League Baseball. They actually dropped in the standings of payroll for uh, Major League teams. So that being said, like when I look at these quotes from from Nolan Arenado, it sounds like stuff that we heard from him while he was in Colorado. And that's why I find it to be so compelling. Whether he's right or wrong doesn't really matter. It's kind of the Michael Jordan thing, right? Where he's he thinks he was cut from his varsity basketball team, even though like it was because he was six three at the time, grew four inches the next year. They had a star studded squad, and like his perspective on that though was I was cut, and that's all that matters. And so if Arenado believes this stuff, and he clearly does, man, that is a that is a little bit of a glimpse into what that locker room is like right now, fracturing. And that, to me, is really interesting. I also think it's very telling that every man in that locker room very clearly is coming to the defense of their manager. That You can say they're just saying all of the right things, and maybe there's nothing else they could do. Man, we have seen this before, where sometimes, guys, you can tell when they're BSing you, and they're just saying stuff to say stuff. These are guys that legitimately believe in their manager, for right or wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, like when Mike Yo was let go from the Blues, I don't remember a lot of players coming out and vehemently uh, defending. Mike Matheny. When Mike Matheny Matheny was was fired, there was not a whole lot of guys that you could find in that clubhouse that were like, this is the wrong decision. Didn't really exist. So right now, I I find this to be a very interesting situation that's taking place with the Cardinals. And I, I don't know how you get this thing back on track because it feels like the fracturing has officially started. This quote is the first sign we're getting of that inside of that clubhouse. Hey, Craig Button is one of the best NHL analysts in the country. He breaks down the draft as well as anybody. He's called a couple of the guys in this year's draft generational talents. What does he expect the Blues to do? What does he think they should do this offseason? Craig Button tells us coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Always happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Craig Button. He's an analyst for TSN. He's also on Twitter at Craig J Button. Craig, it's always a pleasure to be joined by you here on the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I am doing exceptionally well. I hope the same for you in St. Louis. And you know, now that the uh, Stanley Cup has been awarded, you know, we get to talk about the uh, the preparation for the 23-24 season. Absolutely, and that's what we're excited for here in St. Louis. Before we get to some of that, Craig, I do want to ask you kind of a big-picture takeaway from the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we know this is a, a copycat league, right? Every year you look back at the teams that were successful in the postseason and, and you say to yourself, all right, what did they do? How did they construct their rosters? How can we be like that? How can we emulate that? in the future if you're a GM in the league right now and you're looking at the Panthers the Golden Knights the teams that had success this postseason what do you think are the lessons to be learned from the way that they constructed their rosters okay so why don't we talk about that so we talked about copycat league so is Vegas any different than Colorado who's any different than Tampa Bay than Tampa Bay to St. Louis to Washington just go just go back and look at the Stanley Cup champions just go back and look like the, the templates there if you think you're winning with small defensemen in this league, you're wrong. If you think you're winning with small wingers in this league, you're wrong. Teams still want to go down a path, and you know they're not they're not, they're not understanding. And, and let me tell you this: it has been like this for decades. It's been like this. You know, when I was in university, I had a management professor, and we were doing case studies. And you go through the case studies and try. And, and this is his reminder to us: he goes, "Now, he goes, try to look at what you can do." You don't need to reinvent the wheel. He said the wheel has worked really well for centuries. The template to win in the National Hockey League is not changing. You think you're going to win in the NFL with a small offensive or defensive line? you got no chance. And you got no chance to win in this league without size on the back end and on the walls. None. And this idea that the good small players have always been in the league. You're going to start building the small players? Like Brian Murray said, if you want good small players, you're just going to be a good little team. It, the, the template's there. The St. Louis Blues, the reason they haven't had success left, go look at their Stanley Cup winning team of 2019. Go look at the blue line. And now look at the blue line this year. Not as good. Not nearly as good. Look at the walls. Not nearly as good. And that's where you got to build. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you need depth. Yeah, you need frontline players. Yeah, you need good goaltending. That's a given. If you think you're winning with small players in this league, you are absolutely delusional and you're not paying attention. And guess what? There's a lot of teams not paying attention. The second part I'm going to say to that, you better be bold. A lot of teams, there's, I hear so often how hard it is to win and the cap and all the constraints. Never once did I hear that from the Vegas Gold Knights. Not once. They just said, here's what we're going to do. 
B-O-L-D with a cap letter. Are you, either you're interested in winning or you're just happy being part of the schedule that the NHL puts out every year. Craig, if you just if you if you're silent for a couple of seconds, you might hear all of St. Louis <laughs> cheer right now at the radio for what you just said. Let's go, Craig. <laughs> this offseason, Craig, this is why I think St. Louis is is so interesting because you're right. They are built with small defensemen, with the exception of a couple of guys and small wingers, but they're also tied into long-term contracts. So before we get into the draft, just from a GM's perspective, what do you do when you have that? Like, is this a much longer way out of the tunnel than what we originally expected? I don't think so. I'd like, but, but, but let me be very clear on this. This is where the manager, Doug, in, in, in this regard, now has to go and try to create opportunities for himself, create opportunities with cap space, get the right players in. Is it easy? No. Do you have to be bold in some cases? Yes. But that's the job of the manager. I don't want to hear from managers telling me how hard it is. You know what? Managers get paid a lot of money to do the job. And if it's too hard, tell me, and we'll get a different manager. And Doug's not afraid of hard work. I'm I'm fully 100% confident that that Doug can be, is bold and and will be bold, but that's the job now. So, yeah, you can look at long-term contracts and and, and different things that happen. That's your job now. The the person that created, that put the long-term contracts in place, he can't now complain about long-term contracts and no cap space when he's the one that did it. (laughs) Like... You now, okay, good. You went down a path. Okay, now you got to adjust, and now you got to find solutions. That's what successful managers do. I don't have any doubt Doug can do it, but that's the mandate in front of him. Not to tell me how you don't have cap space and how it's hard. Your job is now is to get this because I think there's enough there to build around where you can now become uh, a competitive team and, and move yourself into contending status. Craig Button is our guest. You can find his work over on TSN, also on Twitter, at Craig J. Button, one of the best in the business. Always appreciate him taking some time with us. Uh, Craig, let's stick with the the blue line conversation here for a moment. One of the big conversations that we've been having, really, uh, for the last couple of years, honestly, is about the left side of their defense. They've got Nicoletti. They've got Tori Krug. That's part of their top four right now. Uh, when you look at those two guys, they certainly do not fit the criteria of what you were discussing when it comes to uh, a lot more size on the blue line. Do you think there is appetite around the league to try to be able to move off of those two defensemen? Or do you think they one or maybe both of them can be a part of the Blues long-term build? Uh, on the long-term, I don't, know, I don't know how you define long-term. I'll, and, and, and I'll be very clear on this. When teams line up against the St. Louis Blues and you're playing against Nick Letty and Tory Krug, there's absolutely zero fear. There's absolutely zero, uh, like, like, Feeling uh, uh, that they can make you uncomfortable. If you think you're winning with those two guys as your top two left side defensemen, no chance. No chance. Now, like, they're just not good enough. They're not good enough. They're, they can't carry enough play. They can't carry enough heavy play. So you better come to the reality. Can they be on your team? Yeah, they can be on your team if they're properly supported and you've got the right players playing in front of them. But if they're one and two on your left side, I'll be very clear. No chance. So who's going to, like, I'll just give an example. Just go look at your, go look at the division. You think those guys, you think, like, I'm just going to, you think Kaprizov is afraid of playing against those guys? You think Mika Rantanen is afraid to play against those guys? You think that uh, that Jason Robertson are afraid to play? No chance. 
We saw that a lot this year, Craig. I mean, the, 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 the front of the net was a place of, of a lot of discussion, to say the least, uh, here in St. Louis. So it, we're lockstep with everything that you're saying right now. It's it's you're you're ba- basically backing up and reinforcing well, some of the saying. conversations that we've been having. So then you look out to the opportunities that exist, whether it be on the trade market and free agency. The, the free agency market doesn't look particularly appealing based on who's out there defense wise, but when you look to the trade market, Craig, are are there opportunities out there that you see that you'd say, okay, this is a guy or two that I would potentially be targeting to help out in that regard for the Blues? Yeah, well, I I think there's a lot of different opportunities. There's known opportunities. You can look at players that are going into the last year of the contract that might be restricted free agents, that might be uh, pending unrestricted free agents in a year time. And, you know, and, and so those opportunities to, 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 to assess the, uh, the, the marketplace are, are there. Some are known and, and some aren't known. The managers, and, and Doug is very, very much on top of this, in the discussions about, okay, who, who, who can we look at? What, what opportunities are there? And, and I can mention any number of, of, of players and any number of teams. That's not what it's about. It's about identifying, okay, what do we need? And then trying to say, okay, what players are there? Then those calls are made. And, and, and the contact and the communication that goes back and forth about, okay, what does it mean? Okay, what would we have to give up? What would we have to do to sign a player to, to a long-term contract? And, 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 and maneuvering around all those types of, of, of scenarios. That's what a manager has to do. But you, you, you start to look at, where you can do it and, and, and where you can do it at different, at different levels of, of, of salary. You know, it's not just one place you can do it. I'll, I'll, I'll just use an example. And, and, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And he might fit in the right spot, and, and he may not. And, and St. Louis, you know, is just one place that I mentioned. Mark Stahl was signed as an unrestricted free agent at a very good contract by Florida last year. Now, part of that was because, you know, they knew – that they had limited, you know, dollars to spend. Mark Stahl was a horse for the Florida Panthers this year in the playoffs and down the stretch. He was a horse. And that type of player helps you win come playoff time. Who I, I had an NHL team tell me that they are going hard after Radko Gudis as a free agent. Who wants to play against Radko Gudis? Who wants to play against Mark Stahl? I'm not telling you the frontline guys. They're guys that add elements that are necessary for winning. You know, you, you look at the Vegas Golden Knights. You think anybody's happy playing against Braden McNabb? Is Braden McNabb a frontline player? No, but he's an important player. Big difference. You're not trying – you got Theodore and you got Petrangelo in, in Vegas. So how do these other players fill out and how do they make life really difficult for opponents? That's how you build your team. That's how you build a winning team and a championship-caliber team – and I think those are just two names from, from the Stanley Cup finalists that, you know, certainly are players that you, you might want to look at. You know, why are the Boston Bruins right now willing to listen about Matt Grizzlick being traded? Listen, Matt Grizzlick's an NHL player. If he's a bottom pair defenseman that's supported right, you're right. The St. Louis Blues, the last thing they need is Matt Grizzlick. <laughs> <laughs> so, Craig, sticking on the defensive side, but moving to the draft side of things, because you're you're an incredible draft analysis too, and I know you got a mock draft coming up next week. 
I've heard a lot of Blues fans talk about, oh, well, you got to select a defenseman in this draft at 10th. David Reinbacher would be the guy because you don't have a number one defenseman. So a two-part question for you. One, do you feel that it's necessary or good enough to draft a defenseman in the top 10 this draft? And two, is there a projected number one defenseman in this draft? I find it very, very difficult in, 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 in the history that I've had in evaluating to identify a clear-cut number one. I, I, I define them as top pair. I mean, you go in and you say, okay, this player has all the qualities and all the potential to be a top pair. A number one defenseman, they're rare. Like, I mean, how many of them are there in the NHL? There's 32 teams in the NHL. I can guarantee you there's not 32 true number one defensemen in that hockey. There just isn't. Are there other players that play in the number ones? Yeah, because they have to. But they're not number ones. So to try to go to a draft and say there's a number one, I don't see a number one in this draft. Clear. I, I, do I see top pair potential? Yeah, I do. Top three? Certainly. I see three defensemen that I think are clear-cut top three defensemen. Ryan Docker, Axel Sandin, Pelica, and Tommy Rielander. Could there be others? Perhaps. You know, but, but those are the three that I've identified right now. And, 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 I'm, and I'm very confident in saying they're top three, top pair defensemen. Now, that being said, how do you get these guys? Like you, you can wait and you can hope that you get somebody in the later rounds or when I say later after the first round. You know, it's not the NFL where you're looking for a player to come right in right now and you go, we, need, we have a spotted outside linebacker. We, we got to draft that guy. I get that. The NHL isn't like this. This is three, four years down the road. So when you're assessing talent, and you're looking at where you have to fill your prospect shelves in your cupboard, you look and go, okay, we, we could use some defensemen here. Now, if there's clearly a forward that's better or a goaltender you feel is better, you better not just take a, a player based on position. But when it's close, and I mean close, really like right there, and you're evaluating players that you think have similar type abilities and similar type potential, whether it be a top uh, first line forward or top two line forward, and you got to defend. You need defensemen. You better take the defensemen that you think can be there. And these opportunities don't arise very often. And yeah, you can find them later in the draft. And when I say later, I'm talking second, third round. But there's players in my view that are right there this year for teams that if they want to look and say we need a defenseman, I think it's it's right there neck and neck between a forward and a defenseman at that point in time. And I think it can. It's right there. <laughs> Final question that I've got for you. Craig Button is our guest here on 101 ESPN for just another minute. Uh, Matvey Mikov, to me, is one of the most compelling players in this year's draft. I don't think the Blues are going to be in a position to be able to move up for Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith. It just uh, You can correct me if I'm wrong. That, that feels kind of out of their range. However, with Mikov and all of the question marks surrounding uh, what what his future holds in terms of how long it's going to be until he comes over and the Russia connection there with the situation in the Ukraine, it, it, it seems like people are very high on him as a prospect. When you watch him, when you just take up the tape, what kind of player are we talking about with Mikov and where do you expect him to end up going in this year's draft as a result of that evaluation? Elite striking ability. Russian players are coming over to play in the NHL. Columbus just signed Dmitry Vronkov, Ivan Morosnichenko, Washington's first-round draft pick last year. He came over. So, you know, the political situation is separate and independent. You, the only thing you have to know with Mitchkov is you, you're not getting him for three seasons because his contract runs out. 
but he's 21. What's wrong with waiting until a, a player of that caliber is 21? Now, does that mean it's the right pick for, for the St. Louis Blues at 10 if he's up? I don't think he's going to be there at 10. I think he's an elite striker. I think that his ability to score and create offense in, in, in a significant manner puts him in a category you know, that's, that, that's high in the draft. I think it comes – do I see risk in him? The risk is, is, is in selecting a player and not being patient and beating yourself up. I don't see risk in drafting the player. It's just about being patient. But he, he, he's a dynamic offensive striker. And those players don't come along very often. And certainly teams are going to have to look at it. I think there'll be teams trying to trade up. So here's what I'm going to say to you. St. Louis is picking 10. I don't see a scenario if Mishkoff is at goes past eight. There is no way Mishkoff goes past the Washington Capitals at eight. No chance. Yeah, that's the team that I've kind of circled on him. Uh, Craig, final one for you, and we really appreciate this time. I just wanted to get your thoughts because I know you covered the Memorial Cup this year, and Blues prospect Zachary Bolduke was there. What are your thoughts on him, and do you feel like he's close to NHL ready? Uh, I, 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 listen, I love Zachary Bolduke. Like, you, you know, you look at Jimmy Snuggerud and Zachary Bolduke. Jake Neighbors just wins a gold medal with Team Canada at the World Championships. There's a lot of good young forwards uh, in, in, in the system. And, and guess what? Some guys with size and skill and, and weight. Zachary Bolduck, back-to-back 50-goal seasons, a champion. He's a smart player. He's a competitive player. But like What I would say is, they're in the training camp, see what he does. He, I would suggest that he probably needs a good half a year in the American Hockey League just to adapt to the, to the pro game and then see where he's at come January. But this is, a, this is, a, this is an A prospect. Awesome. He's an A prospect who's going to be a really good NHL for a lot of years. Good Craig, we're getting texts from all over. This is the best interview you guys have ever had. I <laughs> love this guy. He's pulling no punches. Can we get more of this guy, please? You're absolutely the best. We watch all your work over at TSN. We'll be following you along, especially whenever your mock comes out next week at Craig J. Button. Thanks, as always, for the time. Hopefully, we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Yeah, always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Got it. Craig. That's Craig Button, one of the best in the business. Find his work over at TSN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. If you want to see more of his breakdowns of this year's top prospects, uh, they've got some videos that are being posted over the last couple of days over at TSN. Uh, you can just check out their website or go to his Twitter account. He's been tweeting those out over the last couple of days. So highly recommend getting those uh, views in there because he will make you smarter about this year's NHL draft. Alex, there's a million different things to discuss based on the interview that we just had with him. I want to start with a player that immediately came to mind for me as he was talking about the blue line and what the blues need. Maybe not the best player, but a guy that's hard to play against. I've got a player that came in mind for me when he talked about that. Want to get your thoughts on that interview as well. And we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and Kylie. Listen, not every interview is created equally. And the interview that we just had with Craig Button is one of my favorite that I've ever had with anybody on the air in my history doing radio. <laughs> Love that guy. Craig Button's amazing. And when he said 
I, I just want to play this clip. It's like seven seconds on the Blues defense and whether or not they can win with what they've got right now. When teams line up against the St. Louis Blues and you're playing against Nick Letty and Tory Krug, there's absolutely zero fear. But if they're one and two on your left side, I, I'll be very clear. No chance. <laughs> I mean, go back and listen to the podcast later because he got into a yelling match about it. You think Kirill Kaprizov's afraid to go up against Tory Krug? You think Miko Rantanen doesn't want to go to the front of the net against Nick Letty? He was very clear that they're not afraid. You need bigger defensemen, according to Craig, uh, Craig Button. Yeah, that he was abundantly clear on that messaging. God. So my big takeaway from that, Alex, and listen, you can take it or leave it. Maybe you disagree with the way that Craig Button views the game in 2023. Maybe you think it's going in a different direction than what Craig Button is suggesting. However, he is 100% correct on, like, as you're watching Florida and Vegas specifically, it's hard not to look at their defensemen. It's hard Go- not to see these freaking oak trees that you're trying to skate through and you just get, like, you you fall off of their bodies. As you hit them, you're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just run into a brick, brick wall. What the hell happened well, it, there? It's not even this Stanley Cup with, with Florida and Vegas. Like Craig Bed, go, go go all the way back to 2019. Blues versus Boston. Tory Krug was the smallest defenseman in those playoffs. And, of course, he was on the losing side. Tampa versus Dallas. Two teams that had very large defensemen. Tampa, Montreal. An anomaly because that was that bubble postseason. Then you had Colorado and Tampa, Kale McCarr, the excuse, but everybody else was at least six foot two. And then you just had this. That is always a common denominator of having large defensemen of Stanley Cup champions. So I had one player pop into mind. We've talked about him before, but when he, was talk- nope. when he was talking about being difficult to play against and maybe you're not the best player, but at least you play a specific style of game. Scott Mayfield immediately came to mind for me. Mine was Ryan Graves. Before he said Mark Stahl, I really thought he was going to say Ryan Graves. Graves is more of that. Like, he is tall. He's got the length. Six, six. But I don't know if he's, like, hard to play against. Scott Mayfield appears to have that difficult playing style yeah. to go up against. He A does. couple of other guys, Alex, that I was looking at, um, and they're right-handed defensemen. I, don't, I, I would have to look up to see if they've had history playing on the left side, but their UFAs this offseason as well. Mayfield has, by the way. Yeah, he, he's playing on the left side for sure. But uh, Connor Clifton is not a big guy. He plays on the right side, but man, is he physical. Mm-hmm. Um, William Borgen plays for the uh, Seattle Kraken. 6'3", 205, super physical player, second, third pair type of defenseman. These are guys that may be like, they're not name brand players, but they are in the age range that we've talked about, 26, 27 years old. Those are if they go shopping in the defenseman market this offseason after they decide to sell off somebody, those are the kinds of players that maybe you could see the Blues go after. Yeah, I don't. You're going to have to find this one way or the other, because what Craig said, I would imagine, is also what the Blues are looking at, because they did make the comment at the end of the season of how they have to find a little bit more size for their defense. I don't know where it comes from because you've also got the Perunovic and Tuckers that are going to be playing on your team and both aren't the, the biggest guys. Tucker's at least got that feistiness that's difficult to play against, but you're going to have to address either one, two in that top four when it comes to size. And I don't know how you do it, but those guys are great. I, I truly wonder if Scott Mayfield is going to be an option for this blues team. The problem is how many years are you giving them and how much is the term? Because you can't afford to do that unless you move somebody out. By the way, McKenzie Weger, 180 hits each of the last two years, blocked more than hundred shots each of the last two years. Just throwing that out there. Guys, there's a reason I kept pleading for the blues to trade for Jamie Alexiak.
Yeah, they never did. So people wouldn't go to the front end of the net. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, by the Zidorov, way, yeah. another guy that we talked about a lot last year. Like Noah Hannafin is that guy with Calgary too, by the way. Yeah, if, it, if they're going to trade him, if you could have one of Zadorov or Nick Letty on this team right now, oh, do you know how quickly I would have taken yeah. Nikita Zadorov? Zadorov. Now he didn't end up leaving, so maybe he was never an option for you, but that's something to keep in mind as well. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air covered service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the six three six guys. If that's the right way to build the blue line, then why did the Blues decide to move away from that kind of a defense? Again, it's what you said. I mean, Craig Button has a different mindset than other general managers around the NHL. They're not looking at what the last couple of years Stanley Cup champions have been. They're looking and projecting forward of how teams are building their rosters. And look, it's not just the Blues that have small defensemen. There's a lot of teams that look at it and say, oh, if we get this five foot 11 guy, he's going to upgrade our offense. Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr. That's all changed the minds of general managers. The reason that they did that was because they thought they were getting ahead of the curve. The problem was they got rid of a lot of size way too fast. It's one thing if you got one five foot 11 guy, but you went from having Falk, Pareko, Bomeister, and I forgot who else they had on their top Edmondson. four Edmondson. And then it turned into where you lost that and you put Tori Krug in there and then you brought Nick Letty in there. And then next thing you know, you've got also developing Perunovic. Next thing you know, you've got four, five foot 11 defensemen in your top four. And you're thinking, how the hell did we get here Uh, from the six one? I think it's kind of similar to the Cardinals with their pitching side of things. Like they, they were hoping that it was going to be Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty that were going to lead that rotation. And that that's where your swing and miss comes from. And you supplement that with guys that are already here or guys that you're bringing in from the outside with like Wayno and Michaelis and those sorts of guys. And so you've got the, the back end of your rotation is pitched to contact front end of your rotation supposed to be guys that get that swing and miss. And then when you, don't develop the guys internally. They don't work out the way that you were expecting. Now you've just got five guys in your rotation that all pitched a contact. The Cardinals rotation is basically the equivalent in this scenario to the Blues defenseman by, situation. By the way, a couple of other thoughts. One, that's why I've brought up Nicholas Haig so much. I don't know what Vegas is going to do with that if that ever happens. But if you if you're curious when it comes to the guys that they have in their minor league system, other than Perunovic, they do have a lot of guys that are growing into being NHLers. Um, there's like four prospects right now that they have that they predict in the next couple of years to be playing for them that are 6'2", 6'3", and 6'4". Uh, so from the 6'18", guys, do you think that it's a coincidence that every team that Olin Arenado has played for eventually bottomed out due to a lack of leadership? Well, that's two teams, so... I, I, I don't. I think when you've got one of the best players in the world... Um, it doesn't really matter his attitude. It's just a matter of finding the right group of players to have him around. And maybe it wasn't right in Colorado. Seemed like it was fine last year and the year prior to that with Nolan Arenado. Um, so I, I don't buy into that side of things. I think there are situations where guys just have issues in the locker rooms and you see those are the reasons that they move around to five, six, seven different teams. I don't think that's the case with Nolan Arenado. I- I don't either, but I'm kind of starting to change my tone on that because one Colorado, if it happens in Colorado, look, I can get it. Colorado's a disaster over there, but now the fact that's happening here in St. Louis in a place that has been pretty consistent over the last 20 years. And look, you can agree with this comments based on what Mo did this off season. Yay or day, but BK's brought this up. The Cardinals are kind of starting to take on the persona of Nolan Arnato. And if that's the case, He's the guy that you look to and say, okay, that's the number one leader. And if things start to go south while he's here, 
who's the guy I'm going to point the finger to then if it's a leadership problem? It would be Nolan Arenado. So I, I tend to agree with you to where I would say no, but as this thing continues to spiral out of control, I'm starting to lean more towards the side of yes. Yeah, I I don't think Nolan Arenado is, Nolan Arenado is the problem. I think he is right now part of the problem. Um, I think his body language at times is really bad. And I think that sometimes that can rub off onto the rest of the team. I, I do th- like Alex, if we came into the show every day and one of us every single day was just in a terrible mood that eventually you get kind of like, man, can you just come into work once and just be happy? And it's hard to do that when you're going through the types of struggles that the Cardinals are right now. But you kind of got to leave the last day at home, right? Like when you leave the ballpark, you leave it there and you try to come in the next day feeling good. And I'm not saying that Nolan Arenado is like this guy that's coming in every day just with a terrible attitude. But it does seem like when the first thing goes wrong, you can kind of see the head dip moment, right? So I'm not blaming this all on him. It is. There are a million different things that have gone wrong with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023. But if we're trying to identify like specifically with Nolan, how that could affect the rest of its team, I, I think it's not nothing. You know, I, I think there's a little something there to at least discuss. I think when you have those guys, though, and there are a lot of guys that are like that, you have to have the right pieces around them to get the best out of that player. That, rather than it being an Arenado problem, maybe it's also a roster problem of guys around Arenado. I, I would also add this. I think Nolan is part of the solution moving forward. I, I, I don't think, and I've continued to stay on this side of things, I think you build around Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt beyond this year. I know there are others that disagree with that, but those two guys I do think you can win with. I do think you can win because of, and right now it's just not going their way. I do want to get to this final question, Alex, because this is an interesting one from the 618. Guys, I saw a piece earlier today on where Eric Carlson could be headed this offseason if the Sharks decide to trade him. I know he doesn't fit into what Craig Button was just discussing in terms of size uh, and physicality but do you think he would be interesting for the st louis blues if the sharks decide to move on he's tough i mean i would love to have a player like eric carlson on this blues team because he just had a hundred points as a defenseman and frankly that would be awesome for this roster but at 11 and a half million dollars for a guy that's not playing defense and 33 years old and 33 years old and you've got him for i think it's six seven eight more years you're putting yourself in a worse spot that you're in right now. The only way I would be on board with that is if San Jose would be willing to take Tory Krug and Nick Letty off of my contract. But even then those guys aren't going to agree to be traded there. And you're paying 11 and a half million dollars for one defenseman when you could be splitting that amongst two defensemen. Yeah, Carlson's got four years remaining on his contract at this point. Um, what is, what does Tory Krug have left? Four years, four. six and a half. Yeah. Hold no trade, whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's where it gets really tough because, like you said, Tory Krug probably is not accepting a deal no, to uh, to San Jose, nor should he. I, I don't blame him for that at all. That's plus, his, that's why he got it in his contract. Plus, but, it's not even the small size. Like, look at his numbers. Eric Carlson doesn't play defense. No, not he at plays all. offense. Yep. And you don't. If you've got five defensive big men, sure, bring me Eric Carlson. Tough to finish with 101 points and be a minus 26. Do you people understand how hard it? Okay. I just wanted to bring that back. If they said straight up Tory Krug for Eric Car- Carlson, would you do it? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I would. I wouldn't either. I don't, I don't think, think I, I would. would. Either. I don't need. I mean, you're. There's no other moves you're making this offseason. I think you can. I think it's, it'll be easier for you to move on, whether it's this offseason or in future years. It's easier to move on from Krug than it would be if things go south 
with Carlson. Eric Carlson. Your roster next season is exactly what it was last year with Eric Carlson and no Tory Crook. Yeah. And I don't think that makes you any and, better than what you were last year. And Carlson, like, great year last year, kind of an outlier over the last couple of seasons. And look, he's been hurt too, yeah. and that's been an issue with Tory Krug as well. But right. massive outlier, 100 points from 35, 22, 40, 45, <laughs> right. 62. Now, and there's injury issues to deal with yeah. as well. And if now if, if – what the Texans just brought up. If San Jose is going to say, yeah, we'll eat $5 million of it and it's $6.5 million and we'll take Tory Krug, great, let's do it. But they're not eating salary unless you're giving them a hefty re- uh, return. Coming up next, the Cardinals leadership core came to Ali Marmol's defense yesterday. And I want to hear from you guys. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What did you make of Nolan Arenado's comments about the front office, about the manager, about really what's taking place right now. Nolan was very outspoken yesterday postgame. He also had some interesting comments in Katie Wu's article. If you missed it, he said this. My personal opinion is that I think Ollie Marmel has been dealt a tough hand the last couple of years. Last year, we were young, and if it wasn't for the team signing Albert Pujols, I don't know where we would have been. It's a young team again, and it's hard to win with a lot of young players. Doesn't mean we can't do it because we've done it before. We did it last year, and we can go out and do it again. But we really have to step up and play at a better uh, level. Ollie Marmel has been great, in my opinion. The coaching staff has been great. I just think it's not easy to come in and try to put this thing together. So that was what uh, Nolan Arenado said yesterday to Katie Wu. What are your guys' thoughts on that? We'll get to your mic drops, and we'll give you our thoughts coming up next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN. How confident are you that this group, as it's composed right now, can find it and can get it back the right direction? Yeah, it's. Um, I'm fairly confident. Even looking at that group as I walked up here to meet with you guys, uh, they're hurting. They know what they're capable of, and uh, it's just not showing. So you can point wherever you want, but it's got to turn. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Ollie after the game yesterday. Audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Guys, the Cardinals came to Ollie Marmel's defense after that game and before that game yesterday. They know what's going on. They know what the conversation is outside of that clubhouse. The team's 15 games under 500. The scrutiny is everywhere. There's been calls for the front office. There's been calls for Ollie Marmel's job. There's been calls for trades of basically everybody on this team not named Adam Wainwright. Uh, The criticism is far and wide-ranging, but I would say the vast majority of the focus, because it's the easiest thing to do, has been on the manager. Change the manager because you can't trade all 26 players. I understand that to a degree. 
I find it really interesting, though, Alex, that three of the biggest leaders in that locker room, I would say the three guys that are the faces of the Cardinals right now, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Adam Wainwright, all three came to the defense of their manager in a strong way over the last 48 hours. Goldie said this, quote, my confidence in Ollie Marmol's leadership is as high as it's ever been. He then continued, you can't blame the coaching staff when we don't perform. We are the guys that are out there playing. We haven't performed as good as we need to. We have not played better than some of the teams that we are playing against. It just hasn't been good enough, and they've beaten us. We are the ones out there playing. We haven't done a good enough job. That's on us. Nolan Arenado to Katie Wu. My personal opinion, I think Ollie's been dealt a tough hand the last two years. I really do believe that, but Ollie's been great. The coaching staff has been great. I think it's just not easy to come in and try to put this together. Then Adam Wainwright, final one, and then I want to get your thoughts on this, Alex, and we'll hear from you on the mic drop feature as well. Ollie has been pushing us. He's challenging us. He's positive when he needs to be, and he's also telling us that this is not acceptable. What more can a manager really do? This is on us as players. This is not on the coaches or on the manager, end quote. That's the quote right there. Right there by Adam Wainwright is the quote for me, and this is why I've always just been the, the, the standard of you can blame the coach all you want, but they're the ones that put the game plan in place and tell you that you need to execute it, and if you don't, that's not back on the coach, that's on the players. Sure, maybe he doesn't have the ear of the locker room or ear of the players, but once again, that's the players, not the coach. It's the same conversation with Craig Bruby, and I know people are going to say they're different because Craig Bruby can get guys to run through a wall from him, and Ollie can't. Except that we watched last season and that, that wasn't they true. Actually, he did that. And Ollie, I love that quote from Adam Wainwright. Now, uh, on one hand of this, I do look at this and say, okay, well, what are they supposed to say? They're not going to throw their coach under the bus. Sure. But I just don't believe that a manager is the main reason a team is struggling. I look at the players, but you can't fire the managers. You are you, the players. You have to fire the manager. But Adam Wainwright's quote is exactly what it needs to do. He's doing everything in the locker room. He's challenging us. He's positive when he, when he needs to. We heard that two days ago when he talked about how, you know, he's sitting there having conversations with Wilson Contreras and everybody needs some love on him right now. And then the next day he comes out and says it's unacceptable. The manager is doing everything you want him to do. It's the players not executing. So Adam Wainwright basically said what I was thinking. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, this one comes from the 314. Guys, always said last year in spring training that it was a World Series or bust type of season, and that's how he views every year. How has he been dealt a bad hand, if that was his opinion? I, I think I could take it or leave it with the idea that he's been dealt a bad hand. I think this year he's been dealt a difficult hand, but your job as the manager to, is to make the most of it, and you go out there every day and you try to put your players in a position to succeed. And I would say for the most part, I think there are individual instances where you can argue this, and I think it's fair. For the most part, I think Ollie's done a pretty good job this year. I think it's been about an average managing job. But I would also say this, Alex. When you look across Major League Baseball right now, there are a lot of very good managers with championship pedigree that have their teams playing at a level that is disappointing to their fan base. Terry Francona, pretty good manager. You would agree with that? Absolutely. His team's 31 and 36 this year. Is it his fault that his guys aren't hitting, or is that a player problem? I guess it depends on your perspective. Front office problem. AJ Hinch, would we all agree that he's a pretty good manager? I was said he was. I was told when he was hired by San Diego, he was going to be one of the best. Uh, AJ Hinch is the guy. Oh, that's I'm sorry. With Detroit, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> he's a very good manager. Different one there. Yeah. His team's 27 and 39 because they're going through a rebuild, and the guys that they decided to bet on have not played out well. That sound familiar for the Cardinals, specifically with their outfields? Uh, I personally think Buck Showalter, despite all of his like old school tactics, I think he's a really good manager, man. 
His team is very similar to the Cardinals right now. They're one of the biggest disappointments at all of baseball. They're 32 and 36. That's not on Buck. That's on the team for not performing. Uh, you look at San Diego. I think Bob Melvin's one hell of a manager, one of the best in baseball. This is who you're thinking, thinking of. of. Yeah. And he's 33 and 34. And his team was a disaster for the vast majority of the season. You know what's changed lately? Fernando Tatis is playing at an all-star level. They've got Juan Soto who's playing at an all-star level. And suddenly their pitching is starting to come back on track. And he looks like he's a really good manager again. I'm not excusing everything for Ollie. He does need to be better at I times. Think the one area that I do get concerned with Ollie is what we've seen after wins when the team has no energy. Because some of that does come from the manager. Some of that comes from the leaders as I well. I felt like they were playing with a lot of energy, though, when they won 11-14. Remember what that team looked like, that dugout looked like against L.A. and against Boston? Man, they looked like they were having a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, but when you were dug that deep of a hole and they would win a game one nothing, or they would win a game thanks to a late home run, and the handshakes afterwards looked like the group was dead. Not this, not, not in that stretch. No, in this in this recent stretch totally that we're agree. in. I don't know what they're supposed to do in that stretch, But though. even after a win? Like, you're supposed to create some excitement, like, hey, we got it, let's build off but of this. But even the wins, like the, the win against, for example, Texas, when they won one to nothing, that came off of the back of five straight losses and losing seven of their last eight. Yeah, it's one win, but it's kind of like the fan base. The fan base reaction to one win was, yeah, show it to me again tomorrow. And I think that's kind of how the the team feels it right now. Man, they're wearing this stuff. Their wins lately have come two to one, two to one, two to one, one to nothing. They had that seven to four win against Cincinnati as well. They feel like they have zero margin for error. And when they win right now, it's exhausting. The way that they're winning is not a fun way to win. And they're not doing it very often. So I'm with you. They do need to have more energy in that dugout. Totally agree. I think it's just really hard to artificially create that energy unless it's happening as a result of doing some winning. Like if they won yesterday, I think that would have been a little bit more energy moving forward. But they didn't. And they seem to be finding ways to lose. And that's just it beats the energy. It beats the enthusiasm out of you. I think the one thing for Arenado that he said that we talked about earlier, the disconnect that we've all thought was between the players and the manager. Now it's the disconnect between the clubhouse and the front office. That's where I think the disconnect is at right now. All right, let's go to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app because I do want to hear from you guys today. How do you feel about Nolan Arenado's comments? How do you feel about the way that this club has been managed this year? Are you blaming it all on Ollie? Or do you agree with Nolan that, uh, or not just Nolan, Nolan, Wayno, and Goldie that, hey, man, this is on the players, and eventually they got to start doing their part. Let's start out by hearing from Courtney. Basically, Nolan Arenado has been saying what I've been feeling for the past couple of years. You depending on too many young guys and you think sprinkling in two all-stars around a bunch of unproven prospects is going to help you win yeah it has in the past because of the division you're in now it's starting to rear its ugly head i mean tyler o'neill can't stay healthy and he's inconsistent when he is Dylan Carlson, inconsistent. I don't have a problem with playing young guys, but they got to be consistent. And you got to mix some veterans in with the young guys. They depend heavily among young guys in this organization and then put two all-stars around them and then force the all-stars to have to play perfect every game. Courtney, how did you get a cell phone on an airplane? <laughs> well played, sir. I So, I kind of get where he's coming from here. You do want a little bit more of the, like, 
guaranteed, solidified certainty in your lineup. That being said, it is kind of difficult for me to criticize the way that the Cardinals are going about it. When I'm watching the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have the best record in in the uh, in the National League so far this year, and it's a bunch of guys that the vast majority of our audience have never heard from because they're all super young. Yeah, they cut the player that they thought was going to help them get closer to a World Series like a month ago. They, they they invested big in Gabriel Moreno coming into the season. He's a 23-year-old rookie catcher that is now going to be one of their best players, or they believe him to be. Corbin Carroll has been unbelievable for them as a legitimate rookie for them. He's probably been their MVP so far this season. Like You look at the way that they're constructed, it's not as if they have a whole bunch of veterans that are going out there on a day-in, day-out basis. Now, they do have that in their pitching staff. They've got a, a pretty veteran-laden pitching staff for the most part, and that helps. It doesn't hurt when you've got that available to you. And I think if you're if you're looking anywhere, that's probably the spot where they have invested in a way that the Cardinals like they just they're lacking in the pitching side of things. But their position players are pretty similar to the Cardinals. In fact, they're probably younger overall than what the St. Louis Cardinals are. So I, it's hard for me to argue that hey, this is because they're so young. It's because of all the uncertainty. You bake that in to the projection. I baked in the fact that I didn't know what we were getting out of Jordan Walker this year. When I was talking about the Cardinals comparing to the 2013 offense, I still thought it was going to be a really good offense because what he gave you was a cherry on the top, or it was supposed to be. Wilson Contreras is maybe one of the biggest issues with the team right now. The guy is batting under 200 on the season. Do you know how much better this team would look if they were just getting like career average Wilson Contreras? That's That was supposed to be the certainty in their lineup. I can't blame his struggles on youth. His struggles are because he's going through a tough spell, unlike anything he's seen in his entire career. And if you want to blame that on Ollie, fair. I get it. The organization screwed him over earlier this season. We disagreed with everything about the way he handled that. But it's hard for me to blame that on youth, Alex. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature. Let's hear from Randall. Hey, guys, I think the Cardinals have lost their identity. Yadier Molina was such the identity of this team, that grit, that, that grit and that passion and that hard work and never give up and now that he's gone we've lost our identity we don't look the same way we look lost all the time and I think we need to find our identity and once we find our identity I think the the problem be solved are they the you know the quiet you know I speak softly but carry a big bat type group are they you know the young bucks you know and they never give up but they've got to find their identity in order to be able to put this all together. Uh, I think that comes from leadership. Uh, I think that comes from leadership player-wise. I, I agree with that, Randall, 100%. And, and figuring out the identity is what we talked about yesterday. For this sure. team doesn't do anything well, so they can't hang their hat on one thing and say, this is how we will beat you because every area has imploded for them. But can I just say this? The Yadier Molina thing, I, I brought that up because Clint Hurdle was the one that told us earlier this season that if you're relying on Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols to be the reason your team wins, well, you've got bad leadership and need to figure that out. But guys, Yadi played like 40 games last year. Yadi was in Puerto Rico for two weeks for a basketball game. He just left the team. He left the <laughs> team. So the leadership of Yadier Molina, although, yes, Yadi was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Yadi played the same number of games for the Cardinals last year as Paul Dion. And, and, and I was in that club clubhouse for a stretch of like four years and and Yachty was a silent guy. Yachty was not a rah-rah stand in the middle of the room and say let's bleep and go in the middle of June. Yachty was a silent guy that yeah if something popped up he said something. It's kind of what Jay Bomeister used to be. There was a little bit of raw tendency to him but this Yachty or Molina was gone 
this year, and that's why they're struggling. Maybe the presence is gone, but he played 40 freaking games last year. So I I, I can't stand on that and say that's the reason this team is losing. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to some of your mic drops coming up on the other side as well. But Greg Gamsinger has some strong thoughts on two things for the Cardinals earlier today on the morning show. One, the move that he believes would create the shakeup that they need, and two, the move that he thinks could be made, that he thinks would change nothing. We'll tell you what those are coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cleveland Guardians with Josh Bell, who's really struggled all year. You can shift him over to the DH spot. Goldie plays first, and you can get Shane Bieber and another starter right now. Right now is the kind of talent you get for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. So if you wanted to rattle the cage of not just the roster, but the fans in St. Louis and get excited back and go, oh my goodness, they're making a move. I think that does it. I don't know if Ali Marvel getting fired for Joe McEwing is going to change anything. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Gamsinger earlier today on the morning show talking about what he thinks the Cardinals should do if they want to rattle the cage of the players. Alex, I think this does nothing. I think, in fact, what it does is it makes your team worse, both in terms of what they are right now and for the future. I don't think Shane Bieber makes you a better team right now than Paul Goldschmidt does. I just don't. No, I refuse I, to believe that. He absolutely doesn't make your team better. He, he's starting once every five days, and I like Shane Bieber a lot. If you can get him, I say go get him. But if the cost is is throwing Paul Goldschmidt in the direction of the Cleveland Guardians, That's uh-uh. A bad no, trade. sir. That is not something I'm interested in. In the big part of what he's talking about there, to add context for anybody that may have missed the conversations, the reason why he brought it up is because they were talking about, hey, what kind of shakeup can you do that gets the attention of the rest of the team? Alex, trading Paul Goldschmidt would certainly do that. However, so would taking Wilson Contreras from behind the plate. So would the manager publicly calling out Tyler O'Neill for his lack of hustle earlier this season. Like, the stuff that they can do to get the quote-unquote attention of guys, man, they've been trying that Jack stuff. Jack Flaherty literally almost threw a punch two days ago to it, rattle the cage. None of that matters. It's not about finding new motivational tactics. All of them have failed. This is one place that I do think it's kind of similar to the blue season where I remember people were like, hey, why don't you just go ahead and bench Jordan Cairo? Well, they have for individual periods, but your team is becoming actively worse by sitting one of your best players in the press box for a game. It's just not something you could do. The hands are tied for the head coach. There's only so much that you can do to try to get this team to play better. And so, like, if you want to fire Ollie today, fine. That's I'm not even going to argue against it. I don't have a great argument against it. The team's 15 games below 500. So, like, managers are hired to be fired, and maybe this is when it happens. But this part of it, the idea that you should trade Paul Goldschmidt to get a spark inside of that clubhouse, I think it would do the opposite. I think it would completely drain all of the energy from that team where they would say, really? You traded our best guy, our guy that has been the most consistent player on the team since the moment that he was trading for? You you just threw in the white the, the the white towel. You just waved the flag like it's over for yeah. us this year. Yeah. That's what that would have. When I brought up the devil's advocate idea of trading Goldschmidt, it was for a package of players that could be 
massive pieces for your team moving forward. Not for a Shane Bieber that's not making your team better. You're right. That will just, that's Josh Hader emphasized by 10 because you're trading away your best offensive player when your offense and other guys are not hitting. That trade makes zero sense to me. That's not even waving the white flag. That's saying we're done for the next couple of years and hope that Walker and Gorman and Wynn become pieces for our team to turn it around. So, no, I would not be on board with that. The only way we're getting into the Paul Goldschmidt trade conversation is if you are getting legit stud prospects that are going to be Major League Baseball ready within a couple of years. And we're talking like, Paul Gold, or we're talking Jordan Walker level yeah, prospects like in return. What Jazz Chisholm did for Miami or Zach Gallen did for Arizona, those are the types of players that you're looking Higher. for. That's not good enough. Like that, that's what I'm saying is Man, like I, I, I take need, Zach Gallen. I'm talking like Gunnar Henderson, the new, the yeah. shortstop prospect that is that, that was just called up for the Baltimore Orioles this year. Maybe like, Cincinnati wants uh, Paulie uh, Paul Goldschmidt for Ellie Ellie De La Cruz. Cruz. Like, that that Ooh, is the level huh? of prospects that we're talking about here. I need. Not just one of your top prospects, one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball in return for Paul Goldschmidt. And honestly, you're not getting that, and therefore you're not making this. And if you're trading Paul Goldschmidt, kiss Nolan Arenado goodbye because he's leaving too. Well, Arenado can stay in his contract and play. He's not going to be happy about it. He's going to pull the Colorado uh, Rockies again. He'll, unlike Colorado, I tell him, well, that's nice, but you're staying here. Um, The Goldschmidt thing for me, I look. Would that be a shakeup? Yeah, it'd be a shakeup in the wrong direction. To your point on the hair, or not the Harrison Bader, to the uh, Josh Hader situation in Milwaukee. Also, I just think it's too late for this kind of a spark move. Like, if you did this, like where the Mets are now, where they're what is it, six, seven games below five hundred? That, that's a different conversation than fifteen games below five hundred. Fifteen games below five hundred at this point in the season. Yeah, your record is what you say you are, and there's no spark to be provided by doing a roster shakeup or a manager firing. The the shakeup is these guys actually just wake up and start playing better baseball. Like they they come to the ballpark and Contreras gets hot, Nolan Arenado gets hot and starts driving in runners in scoring position. Gorman gets out of his struggles and starts becoming the guy you saw in the first month. Like there is no more. Hey, let's do this and shake things up, and this team's going to turn it around all of a sudden because it's going to provide a spark. No, I. You're past the point of hey, let's provide a spark. It is. It's going to have to come from within that locker room, and it's just going to be guys that are just turning the corner and getting things back in the right direction. I. I don't see a spark in any scenario. Firing Mo, firing Ollie, trading Paul Goldschmidt. I don't think any of those work right now because I think you're past that point of hey, a spark really turns things on for this team. So let's stick with the Ollie point because that's the thing that we're getting the most response on right now on the text line three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, Greg Amsinger said something about that earlier today as well that I found to be interesting. And honestly, this part I actually agree with. Let's go ahead and hear what Greg Amsinger had to say about the potential of firing Ollie Marmel and what that accomplishes for the team. If you think Ollie Marmel is the reason the Cardinals are losing, just understand he's going to be replaced by a guy who's literally doing his job exactly like Ollie Marmel. So I don't think it makes sense to me to fire the guy. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's not because I'm best friends with Ollie Marmel. Don't think that. It's I just know who's making the decision, and the, he's not getting fired. So why make the, the move if, it, if it's for anything, but just rattling the cage of the roster? If that's what you're doing, then go ahead. See if it works. Yeah, I mean, you're rattling the cage of the roster, but you've already done all of these things, man. I'm telling you. And- Again, the last move that you can make, if this is going to happen, it happens today. It, there's, I think there are two deadlines on you firing Ollie Marmel. One is today because of what happened over this homestand. 
and the other comes at the All-Star break. That is when they decided to, if I'm not mistaken, that's when they fired uh, Mike Matheny, yeah, right? Like was the right day at the before the All-Star break. So July 10th. July 8th or 10th. You know what? I know exactly what's going to happen. Not on 4th of July. Not our, on Independence Day. Our due date is July 8th. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> they are for sure firing Ollie Marmel the week and that I am off on paternity We'll leave. have him on the next day. I want yeah. you to know I will do the show. If they fire Ollie while I'm on paternity leave, I'm doing that show. Yeah, you I wanna, will be here. I want to talk to your wife about that one. Now, I may yeah. not be in studio. <laughs> we'll be doing it from home, and the audio may not be as the same quality as if hey, I was I here. Promise I'm going to be here for that I one. I promise you those first two days of Baby Luca, you will not be here. I promise you I will be. You are going to be half dead. I, I make you guys a blood oath right now. You ready to do this hangover style on the top your, of the roof? I'm going to cut my hand and we'll do a blood oath together, and we will we will this make sure BK's that I'm going to sound like. Just take your word for it. I don't need to like uh, <laughs> exchange what, bodily fluids gonna, with you. That's what BK is going to sound like on the show that day. So Ali Marma. <laughs> Do you know how much coffee will be running in through the, my pants? In the background. <laughs> no, I, ah, ah, BK, come get Luca. He pooped. Yeah. And I will say, your mom's here for a reason. <laughs> you oh, guys can't oh, figure it out. Oh. I can't, I can't, I can't. I want to make this clear. I want to studio the yeah. next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I don't think that there's any other opportunity. If you don't make this decision now, you're you're telling the listeners, you're telling the audience, we believe in Ollie Marmel. We think that the problem is the players. And by the way, if that is your opinion, John Mozela, get your ass out there and tell everybody that. Like, you need to get in front of a camera on Bally Sports Midwest prior to a game with Jim Hayes, or if you want to go on the broadcast with Chip Carey and BT, I don't care how you do it, but you need to send the message to your fan base at some point Ollie is our guy. I understand that this season has not gone as any of us expected, but we believe that Ollie Marmel is a premier manager in today's game, and our players have not performed to the level that we expected of them. We are not making a change at the manager spot. We are putting this on the players, and until they start performing better, we're not going to get out of this, but I want everybody to know today we are not making a change at the manager position because we believe that Ollie Marmel is the manager for the St. Louis Cardinals. Doug Armstrong did this. Yep, he did it say. early on in the blue season and it nipped it in the bud. Yep. Now there were still questions. Fans still got mad, but they understood it. And I understand there's a difference between Craig Berube, who's a championship coach for the St. Louis Blues, and Ollie Marmel, who's been the manager for one year here in St. Louis. The amount of gravitas that those guys have here that they've earned very different. But if the front office believes in him and they said it to Katie Wu, but that was behind the scenes and it was in print, it's behind a paywall. If they believe that they need to say it and they need to get out in front of this story. Now they've already waited too long, but if you're going to do this, this needs to happen today. This was my rant yesterday tomorrow, and, and why I, I just despise the comment of if we had a panic button or a button to hit to fix all this, we would have. And I, I, who did we? It was the former catcher from foul territory. What was his name? Kratz. 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 He was the one that came on and said, where's Mo in all of this? We have not heard from him other than a couple of stories here and there. You're right. I don't even think it should be a Bally's or a broadcast. I think it should be kind of a press conference the way that Doug Armstrong did, where it's, hey, I'd like to just address what's going on right now. And the first thing out of his mouth, if you truly believe it, should be Ali is our manager for the remainder of this season. Ali is our manager for next season. That's not changing. And- 
I was gonna say, and, and like I, I believe that there is a spark that can be provided by firing a coach. I, I am a true believer in that. I mean, we saw it in 2019. That, yeah, like that's the great example of it, and that's why I. I don't know I, if you have a bird beyond the staff, though. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I was kind of calling for Bruby earlier hey, in this Stubby year. Stubby Clap took down Pete Alonzo. You don't think he could rip something off the wall and smash it, and everyone be like, "Yeah, let's go." But I. You know what? This is the weekend. I, I, unfortunately, Pete Alonso's not in the lineup. He's hurt right now. Oh, he's still running on the field. Just, Stubby should fight. <laughs> Stubby Clap just go over and right hook him. <laughs> I want to see Stubby just. Dude, you remember the Braden Shin boarding call last year in the playoffs? I want to see that with, but with Stubby pregame, just run full sprint to tackle Pete Alonso into their clubhouse. Or do like Ivan Barbashev did and break somebody's clavicle. There, there you go. go. That's uh, how you send a message. But I, I am a firm believer in that can't happen. But it needs to happen at a moment where, like, the Mets are where they're four games below 500. Yeah, you're right. Not when you're 15. Not when you're 15. 15, it doesn't do anything. Why? Because if it provides a spark, it probably provides, like, a seven-game little surge. And if you're the Mets, maybe you get above 500, and then you go, hey, okay, we are this team. We can kind of take off from here, and then they maybe go, seven games, and you're still eight games below 500. There's no, like, hey, hey, here we go. Here come the Cardinals. It's still the... Yeah, we're we're still the same team. We're just missing all. You go on a seventeen game win streak. You can get back to five hundred by the All Star break. Well, they didn't fire a coach to do that, did they? The other thing, and I do, I, I kind of glossed over this, but it's also true. If they end up deciding to move on from Ali Marmol and Mo continues to be in charge of this team, he's right. Yeah, you're putting the like, same guy. Whether you agree with it or not, and I have my own thoughts about it. I'm sure everybody in their audience has their thoughts about it. The next guy will be very similar to Ali Marmol. It's true. It's the way that man, and that's not just because of what it is here in St. Louis, because that's the way that all of Major League Baseball is going. It's happening in Chicago right now with David Ross. You're, you're going to see this all over the place. They're they're having to come to terms with this in New York as well, where they're like, "Hey, what do we do? The Mets are a disaster this season. Not as much as the Cardinals, but man, they they have not played the baseball that anybody expected, and they are spending a bleep ton of money, and they are all in on this team right now." And they hired Buck Showalter because he's one of the best managers in baseball, and they know tactically he's going to give them an advantage. And it's not working. So they're looking around saying, like, well, what do we do? If this doesn't work, where do we go? Where do we turn? That's pretty much what the Cardinals are doing right now as well. Let's dive into the juncture coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? Guys, I saw an article that in L.A., found this interesting, they are opening up a Netflix restaurant in L.A. A and, Netflix? Yep. And okay. what it is, is it's a restaurant. So Netflix has their own kind of category of their cooking shows, whether Netflix originals yeah. or they uh, have the their own. show. It's all he and, watches. And what they're going to do. It's great. British baking show. Sorry. Yeah. At, at this restaurant, it's all going to be just food from these Netflix shows. That's all it's going to be. Nothing else. It's got to be made from one Netflix. Uh, yes, you have a question, yes. sir. Is there chilling allowed at this Netflix store? Yes. Yes. So you can Netflix it's, and chill while you're there. It's their motto. Is it really? No, I have no idea. But it, should be. <laughs> it shouldn't be because there's food present. So yeah. you don't want to Netflix and chill with no. food around. It's just weird. That's a mix, no, you know? It's Netflix and I chill mean, with the munchies. Yes. 
This goes great. This is going to end horribly. Yeah, somebody's There's getting a disease. zero chance this works out for them. I have never seen before a situation where a company like this says, you know what we should do? We should start a um, new restaurant. And it works out really well this, for them. This feels like the moment where they had a meeting like, okay, we got to come up with something new. And, and like some guy named Greg or something like that said out loud at the meeting, what if we open a restaurant? And you know, like the intern across the cross room I was like that's such a terrible idea and the boss was like yeah that's right 100 yeah. yeah i am so in on this idea so i don't I, understand like the like what's the pull here what's the draw yeah like i can watch netflix while i eat i could do that I guess, at home i guess rather I than pay for food i guess rather than like in la instead of like watching them make it and then go get the ingredients and then come home and have to rewatch it to make the same yeah, thing they made the chef you just go well, I can't help it. I mean, that's a risk you run at every restaurant huh. you go to. So that's true. I, I, I think that's kind of the pull of it. But like, I'm kind of with you guys. I don't like. No chance. I might do. I would probably do it like once, and then be like, all right, I, I can I, say I experienced this. I'm not going. I back. got a great idea. I'm gonna go home and watch the Netflix show, and then cook the food but no, whenever no, I'm watching the Netflix show. Oh, if I'm in Los yeah. Angeles, the odds that I'm going to this place specifically, when there is a million other restaurants yeah. that I can go yeah. to in LA, are slim to yeah, none. BK's going to go somewhere where he can miss the Cardinals game. And like, exactly. And look, this is just you like... You get it, man. <laughs> By the way, the place that I went to shut down. Oh, <laughs> no. Nailed it. Three months after we no left, coincidence. Anybody uh, listening who owns a restaurant out there, I, if BK <laughs> walks through your doors, Kick him out I, before I will, he sits. I will say this too, and look, I'm I'm not saying I'm like particular in this, but and it's just renderings because they have they're getting ready to build this. Is inside the restaurant is all like just Netflix neon red and oh it, yeah, walk like looking it's at this, I walk room. in and go, oh, I need my sunglasses. I, yeah. I will be very curious to see how this does. It reminds me so in Kansas City where I grew up, they had a place called the Eight Ten Zone, one of the sports radio stations there built a restaurant for the station. That sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, it did not. I we should well make a restaurant for us? We should not do that. If that ever comes up, we should definitely zone? turn it down. Um, bring it up at our next meeting too. ESPN had this previously as well, where they oh, had yeah, restaurants. I remember that. I, you want eighth grade field trip to Chicago? I remember going was to the this, ESPN Zone and being underwhelmed. Was this kind of their like selling point of it? You ever wonder what it's like to eat in the cafeteria at a sports radio station? Basically. Well, come on down to our restaurant where we've got turkey. I can and tell cheese, you, it's not that interesting. Cheese. Well, it's the same idea. It's like a I Buffalo Wild it. Wings. It's just not Buffalo Wild Wings. So yeah, it yeah, ended but Buffalo poorly. Wild Wings like had the premise of like, hey, we've just got sports for you to watch. It's yeah. not we're isolated to this brand. Yeah. It it didn't end well for they any of those. A, and this is going to end very similarly. We should create yeah. a blockbuster restaurant. Restaurant. I'd go to that. That'd be fun. I, I feel like that's something right? Blockbuster would have tried to do right uh, before they probably. shut down. Up in about 15 minutes or so, it's T-Bone's favorite segment of the week. We'll play a game of Believe It oh, or yeah. Not. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not right after we sing. But coming up next, what's going on with the Cardinals bullpen? Just looked up some numbers on this group. Guys, they are not doing very well. So much so that they've already blown more leads this year than they did all of last season. It's not what you're looking for. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, the Cardinals, as you know, have not had the greatest luck with their bullpens this season. 
there have been moments where it looks really good. There have been other moments where any time that any player comes out of that bullpen, you're clenching the cheeks real tight, just hoping to God that they don't blow it this time around. Unfortunately, uh, T-Bone's favorite save, the blown's or yeah. T-Bone's favorite stat, the blown saves. Those are his favorite saves. <laughs> Not looking <laughs> the at the blown ones. <laughs> Not looking at a fickle stat anymore, is it's it? It's huh? looking pretty real right now. Uh, they have 15 of them on the season. They had 16 blown saves all of 2022. Uh, it's not what you're looking for. They are at a 50% save rate this year. They have converted on 50% of their save opportunities. They were at 70% last season. Kevin Wheeler just tweeted this out. If they had not, or if they were at the same conversion rate as they were last year in terms of their save opportunities, Alex, they would have six fewer blown saves and they would be three and a half games out of first place right now. We can talk as as much as we want to about their inability to convert with runners in scoring position. That's a problem. What the pitching rotation did at the beginning of the season where they clearly had issues. That was a problem. We can talk about their defense and how in the outfield it's been a disaster all season. How Nolan Arenado, there was a great piece earlier today that came out on Sports Info Solutions about how this is his worst defensive season of his career. All of these issues. No doubt about it. But Alex, the Cardinals are 21 and five this year when they go into the ninth inning with a lead. The Cardinals are 16 and eight when they go into the sixth inning this year with a lead. Let me give you those numbers for last year. They were 74 and three when they went into the ninth inning with a lead last year. They were 67 and two when they went into the sixth inning with a lead last year. They have already lost eight games this season when they were leading going into the eighth or the going into the sixth inning. We are about a third of the way through the season. They lost two such games all of 2022. This team is not able to capitalize on their leads. Even when they do have the opportunity to close things out late, they're not doing it, man. And that is part of what makes this thing so frustrating is that you've got the guys that should be able to lock this thing down. Jordan Hicks has been really good for the most part over the last month. Giovanni Gallegos, man, I know he's had some blowups. We've seen this from him in the past as well. He typically turns it around. He's been one of the most consistent relievers in all of Major League Baseball over the last four years. And for whatever reason, they're just really bad, high-leverage spots this year. Ryan Helsley has blown up a couple of times this season. Chris Stratton, who's been, for the most part, super trustworthy, he himself has blown up a few times this year. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it's like you you just put the names in a hat and figure out who you're going with, and it's the wrong decision. Like it's it's been brutal to watch this bullpen. And this is the question I have because we've interviewed so many different people, players, pitching coaches, managers, and asked the impact of the coaches, the pitching coaches, whoever's working with these individuals. And they said, look, I mean, yeah, they're important, but it's more on the players. But I mean, it's got to be coaching, right? Because you, I mean. You have the exact same bullpen, actually with a better Drew Verhagen than what you did last year. And it's not just one guy that's falling apart. You could say it's individual performance. I think this is just the volatility of a bullpen. Yeah, I, like, I, I, every I, I hate, single guy has fallen apart I, I because that's the, bullpen, every year. that's the nature of bullpens. Bullpens do man. not lose seven guys in they one do. year. They Look do. at Philly last year. Yeah. Philly's bullpen was awful last year before they had to make some trades to get guys in. Like Bullpens are volatile. That's why, like... We talk about uh, what was in the office in Ryan Helsley for Danny Jansen. I wouldn't have done because I didn't think Danny Jansen was the guy, but I could see where the Cardinals were coming from. Like, I, I don't think this is a coaching problem because I think Ollie's managed the bullpen well, kept guys fresh. 
there are there's always outings. There's going to be times where every guy in that bullpen is going to go through a cold spurt. The problem for the Not Cardinals every is every other day. Well, the problem for the Cardinals is multiple guys are cold in that bullpen at the same time. It's the same with the offense. Like the offense, is it going to be this bad all year? No, but what's going wrong is you've got like four guys that aren't hitting at the same time. It's the same issue with the bullpen, and I, I agree with BK. I don't think this is a coaching thing. I think this is a thing that you, you look at and go, oh, it must be coaching because it can't be that bad. I think this is bullpens. Like You can look at back of baseball cards for bullpen arms. There's like five guys that have long careers that end up being consistent in a bullpen. Unfortunately, Gio is one of them, and that's what sucks, sucks right now is that I don't even think Gio's necessarily been bad this season but it feels really bad because when he blows up he doesn't just give up like a couple of hits and a a run or two when he blows up this season it's what you saw yesterday it's what you saw against the angels where not only does he implode but he completely removes any chance for the cardinals to be able to come back to win like he he gives up that first run and then he keeps letting them add on and there's just seemingly no way to get things back on track. So if you want to be critical of them not taking him out earlier yesterday, I suppose you could. Unfortunately, they didn't have a good option, as we saw in the next inning, where they had to go to Steven Matz because their bullpen was fried otherwise. Um, they, I, I don't think this is a coaching issue because I would also go to the other side of things. The same coach that has been coaching these bullpen guys is the same guy that has gotten this rotation back on track. And so if I look at what's happening with Michaelis and Montgomery and Flaherty, where those guys, for the most part, other than the recent tough start by Jack Flaherty, they have gotten their seasons back on track. Hell, look at Jordan Hicks, who for the first month and a half of the season was one of the worst relievers in baseball. He's found a way to now get his season back on track. If I'm going to credit them for that, it's hard for me to say, hey, they're they're also the blame for this. I think we give a little too much credit when things are going well and a little bit too much blame to the coaches when things are going poorly. I, I, it's it's hard for me, Alex, also to just sit here and be like, eh, shrug emoji. Sometimes weird stuff just happens. But when it comes to bullpens, that's kind of how I feel. If I'm just being totally honest I, with you, I just look at connections. And when you got the exact same player, seven guys that are eating the most innings in the same bullpen and the different coach, you just wonder. I mean, there there's some type of change there. Did that change impact it? I, I just think it's guys that just for whatever reason, are not performing well, are not showing up to the ballpark, not getting the job done. this was predictable, too. Well, yeah, like I, I think, Ver, like you said, Verhagen's been better. I don't think Verhagen's been better. I think Verhagen had like a good stretch, and now he's been the guy that I saw last year. Hennessy's Cabrera's been the same guy you saw last year. Like his fastball velo has remained down, but we saw that little stretch where it was like, ooh, maybe he's back. It wasn't his fastball. He added a slider, and that was the whole reason he was having success. So, And I we said all offseason, we all wanted them to add more to the bullpen because yeah. we saw the potential vulnerabilities there. I think the thing that, like, it really to me comes down to two guys. The thing that's changed about your bullpen this year compared to what it was last year is the reliability of Ryan Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos. If those guys were performing in 2023 the way that they did in 2022. But even Gallegos blew up last year. A couple of times, but for the most part, he was really good. Yeah. I mean, he, he was one of the better relievers in the sport last season. He finished the year with a 3.0 ERA, had a strikeout rate of 11 per nine innings, barely walked anybody. Like, he was he was really, really good. And this year, he's just given up too many home runs. He's given up almost two home runs per nine innings that he throws. That's just way too much, man. And then Ryan Helsley, like, he was arguably the best reliever in all of baseball last year. And when you have a guy like that at the back end of the bullpen, we've seen this before. It's very rare that they come back the next season and repeat the same results. Some of that was honestly just he got a little lucky at times, too. Yeah, like he he'd load the bases and then strike out the side right afterwards. There's some there's definitely not a skill there in his hundred mile an hour fastball with good movement like that plays there. But 
there's going to come another time where, hey, one of those fastballs that they took and it ended up being a strike three, now they're going to swing at it and it's going to drop for a hit and now they're going to score two runs on that. Like that's it, weird stuff happens with bullpens. And because it is such an incredibly small sample size, the numbers can get outweighed because of the few opportunities that they get. And I think if you're going to judge a manager on what the bullpen does, it, to me, it's not so much performance based. I think it's kind of twofold. It is. Did you put that reliever in the best situation by playing the matchups? Because there, if you have to question a lot of moves of, wait, why are we going to a lefty here against, say, the heart of the order? Why do you trust this guy when he's been cold recently to go against this part of the order? Then I think that's on the manager. And I, I don't think Ollie's done that. I know there was the whole whatever about Hicks yesterday. I mean, he did his job. It was time for Gio to come into the game. And then the other one for me is, how well do you do in terms of balancing their workload? And again, I, I think Ollie's done a very good job of that. I mean, the guy that I would look to that did not do a good job of that was Matheny. Look at Matheny. He he broke Seth Maness. He broke Matt Bowman. Like, I th- think, those I, I are honestly, guys you look at. there's one criticism of Schilt, I thought that was something that Schilt didn't do very well. I don't think that he managed his bullpen very well. I think he went to the same guys too often. I yeah, think we saw agreed. that with Alex Reyes, where he broke down in part because he was utilized too much. And so I... I actually think it's one of the things that Ollie's pretty good at for the most part is he, he does manage the pen pretty well and it frustrates fans during the course of 162 and I get it because you're watching the game you're like why aren't you going to your best guy here but he's trying to think of how does this going to play in September and how does this going to play in August and you have to keep those things in mind as you're considering who you're going to use at a specific spot in June somebody on the text line also said guys this is a, absolutely a coaching issue uh, when you look at the way that they're utilizing these guys the bullpen was fried by the time that we got to mid-May I think that goes back to the trickle-down effect of their pitching, their starting pitching. They they weren't going deep enough into games. They're still not going deep enough into games. Even though they are better right now, they're still completely inefficient with their pitches. They're getting up to 100 pitches by five or six innings, and that's continuing to have a trickle-down effect into your bullpen. I I don't view this as an issue with your manager because if I'm the manager today and you ask me, how do you set up innings six, seven, eight, nine? If you have to go to your bullpen for that, am I? There's no good answer to that. You could tell me seven different ways that you would go about it, and I'd say I think there's a reason that you would do it that way. All of them, though, have holes in their arguments. Like, who are you? If you're pitching today, tomorrow, I guess you're going up against the Mets. The middle of the order's coming up. It's the ninth inning. You're up by one run. Who are you going to? I have no freaking idea. I think I would probably go. I would probably go Hicks, but I can tell you now, Ollie would probably say Geo, and I and I don't think that's wrong. I. Though Geo's had blowups, I still trust Geo to get the job done. It's going to take more blowups in a consistent stretch before I truly lose faith in Giovanni Gallegos. And the reason why I ask that is because of that answer. I, I don't know either. I would go to Geo probably, but I don't feel good about it. If you ask me the same question, eighth inning, who do you go to? I'd probably go to Hicks there. I don't feel good about it. Who are you going to in the seventh inning? Probably Stratton. I felt a lot better about that two weeks ago, though. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree. You can criticize for what he's doing in the bullpen, but... That's entirely hindsight driven because in the actual moment, there are no good options right now for him in the bullpen. It reminds me a lot of Schilt where there was a point in time, I think it was in 2021, where you'd look out in the bullpen and be like, man, I don't like any of these options. The answer to which guy do you go to is I don't want to. I'll bring back my my starter. And I think that's part of why you're seeing these starters go deep. Like You're seeing Ollie trust them into the hundredth pitch. That is that goes against everything that he believes in. But he's like, hey, I don't want to go to that pen. My alternative <laughs> is not good here. So I'm just going to ride this with Jordan Montgomery. And let's see where the wheels fall off. And if they do fall off, so be it. But I'm going to trust this guy as opposed to going to my bullpen right now. Somebody said, what tr- pitchers are in your circle of trust? I don't have any. No, yeah, there's no circle of trust right now. Nobody's yeah. allowed in. We got to get all the T-shirts back because I'm kind of with you guys. I don't think there's anybody I trust right now. I, I may lean on Hicks, but... 
I, I kind of tend to side with you guys. There's, other than that, I, I got a cramp because my cheeks were so tight the other day. I had a butt yesterday? Cramp. Yeah. I yesterday? How about, about I didn't think you get a cramp back there. You say you had a, a print on your chan- a, your pants? A, a, he's a got a cramp. cramp. Because oh, my cheeks cramp. are so tight. Charlie horse, man. Yeah. You should probably, things back you probably should do some squats, loosen I those up. I probably should. I did some squats yesterday party. after the yeah. game, and man, I felt like something. The, the, do the a little puckering c- from earlier yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah, I could feel it expanding afterwards. Yeah. Get them looser a little bit. Okay. No, don't shake your hips like shake that, man. It makes hips. me uncomfortable. Are you doing the Jersey Turnpike later? Yeah. Are we going to get that on on the TikTok? He doesn't know what that is. Do we still have a TikTok? I don't know. I think yeah. so. Hell yeah. So, we do? We'll put it up hey, on YouTube. Follow. I hear we're, I hear we're pivoting to video. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Nice. Coming up next, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world It should have been somebody else Hello, Thursday. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Flying away on a wing and a prayer Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text hey line. You know who really for, enjoyed that? Believe it or not, the intern Brendan. Brendan, did you like that? Yeah. You like that, Brendan? I turned around, man. He was smiling. He was, was he belting along. it? He oh, was he dancing was. a little okay. bit. He's doing now, a little bit of a jig. Ryder didn't want him to be singing. Hey, Ryder, but you sing with. He thinks about it sometimes. It kind of depends, you know, if he's busy. Oh, he waved, he waved the flashlight one day on his phone. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think he sings it in his head. He's one of those guys who's like. Oh, doesn't Believe want to sing out loud. Or not, I'm yeah. walking on air. But it's, when he gets like in his the car, at the concert oh, that's just like yeah. tapping along with oh, the foot. Yeah. But then when he gets like in his really car later, it. he turns on. He's like, yeah. "Believe it or not." <laughs> oh, he's like doing the drum roll oh, on yeah. the. Oh, oh, yeah. We know, right? He's doing that. You can feel coming in the air tonight, man. We know, Ryder. Let's get to believe it or not. Let's start with this, guys. Believe it or not, the Mets and the Padres will both eventually make it to the postseason. Not believe it. I don't think both make it. And I think it's going to be the Mets. I think the Mets are not going to make okay. it. Padres will make it. I think the Mets won't make it. Padre, we were talking about this earlier. The Mets have no power. Like, Pete Alonso is their power. They thought Lindor would be it. He's not it. Marte has not been it. And they're not hitting consistently. The Padres at least have the power. It's just has not gone well for them. Tatis Jr. is getting much better. Machado, you imagine, is going to figure it out and then the other pieces in place with it. So I would say the Padres get in. The Mets, I don't see happening, so not believing. Tommy Fame is one of their three best power hitters this year. That's all you need to know. He's been stabbed. I'm not going to believe it either, and it's because I don't believe in the Mets. I I do think San Diego is starting to turn this around. I think there's two teams of the four that had, like, high expectations and were struggling. Two of them are turning it around. Two of them are sinking. Cardinals, Mets sinking. Padres, Phillies figuring it out. So I'm not going to believe it. I don't think the Mets are making the playoffs. I'm not even sure Showalter's going to make it past the All-Star break. Sweep it. I agree with both of you guys. I do think that Showalter will make it. I think they know he's not the problem there, just as the Cardinals seem to believe that Ali Marmol is not the problem here. I think that we will see the Padres in the playoffs once again this season. I that pitching staff is not this bad. It's not going to be this bad all season long. They've got too much talent in that rotation. 
and you're starting to see their hitters wake up. Juan Soto's been excellent. You look at what Fernando Tatis Jr. has done over the course of the last month. He looks like an MVP candidate right now. That home run he hit last night. Oh, boy. And they're starting to feel the energy again. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the highlights lately, but it looks like a nightclub when they're playing at home again, which is what it's supposed to look like for the San Diego Padres team. So I think they end up making it. I do not think the Mets do. Alex, what do you got? To the... Craig Button interview that we had earlier, which, by the way, you could check out on the podcast page later, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. But Craig Button's point of saying that you can't be small if you want to have success in the postseason. Believe it or not, within the next two years, the Blues have five of their six starting defensemen at six foot two or bigger. Like how um, many years? Two? Two. Within the next two years. I'm not going to believe this. Because I think they are locked into some of these guys. I think it's going to be harder than we currently believe. So I I, I think Justin Falk's going to be back there still. I think you're going to see one of the other short guys, whether it's Tori Krug or Scott Perunovich in the lineup night tonight. So I, I think that they will continue going down this path with some of these puck-moving defensemen. They believe that this is the direction that the NHL is going, so I do not what believe What if I would have said four? That changes things a little bit. Um, how tall is Justin Falk? He's, he's, he's below six foot, this, right? Yeah, he's six foot. So, yeah, I, I think I think that you're going to have Falk in there. I think you're going to have one of those shorter guys. And then, like, Pareko fits into this criteria mm-hmm. that you're talking about. So, really, you're talking about the other two. I could do that. That's the one that and maybe I should have amended it that way. If Because four is probably more doable because Falk's going to be a part of this team, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I, I would not believe it. I probably wouldn't even believe it if it was four because I, I can see where they continue to build this kind of small defense because... Army has been trying this, whether you think it's right or wrong, has been trying to zig while everybody else is zagging. And that's what he's been trying to do. He's been trying to get out the head of the curve early on, too. So I, I don't think so. I, I've always been in the belief that it's going to be hard to move Krug or Letty. And I think they kind of still view Pernovich as being someone in their future. So I'm not going to believe this. I think if it was four, I would believe this. Because I can see one of them getting moved this offseason and one of them getting moved next offseason. In two years, having a little bit more size on that back end just because as you get closer or later into the season when you get to the trade deadline maybe somebody convinces themselves that that helps them get over the hump even if it is an extra two years on that contract T-bone? believe it or not whoever you think wins the nl central wins it with fewer than 85 games i'll believe it <laughs> i think you win this division with 83 i think i don't think anybody's 80. going on a run this year like the, the the Brewers are really flawed. They can't hit. The Pirates are super flawed. They are very... You want to talk about a team that's young. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Pirates don't know that they're supposed to be bad, and that's part of why they've been able to stay up there. Maybe that's the key to it all. Maybe. Young and dumb. Maybe they should think... Maybe the Cardinals should not know that they're this bad. If there's a team that can go on a run this year, it's probably Cincinnati. That's the but team I, I would But I still say. think they're too flawed to be a consistent yeah. winner. They'll have some stretches where I think they struggle. I think Ellie De La Cruz... I love the guy. I think he's awesome talent. There's going to come a point in time about a month from now where he's striking out 35 to 40% of the time because that's just, it's going to take some time to adjust to major league pitching once they adjust to him. So I, I do. I think that it's going to be below 85 wins to win this division. I, I this would year. say believe that one also because I think it's going to be below 85 wins. Who do you think wins it? I think it's going to be Cincinnati. Cincinnati's just at least got the star power around their roster that can do it. I will be interested to see, even if Pittsburgh's not good towards the end of it when O'Neill Cruz comes back what that does to their lineup because you're adding more pop to it Cincinnati would be my pick as well yeah. I think they I think they're also incentivized to go for it this year as opposed to like 
the Brewers might be incentivized to trade at the deadline. Yeah, I don't think, I the, think Reds the Cubs are incentivized to trade at the deadline. And when I say go for it, I mean like Adderaldis Chapman, who's not going to take a ton of assets to be able to go out there and get. I don't think they're going to be going all in or anything, but a couple of marginal upgrades could be enough in this division to put you over the top when other teams around you are sinking. Even then, I'm, I'm scared. I don't even think they would add Chapman. I think they just kind of stay pat, see how things go. I, I'm going to believe it, though. And I still think Milwaukee's a team. I heard today on MLB Central, uh, John Heyman said it doesn't sound like right now Milwaukee's going to sell. Now, that they was said last year about right Hater. Um, but I, I don't think they will do what they did last year was, hey, we're in this race. Let's go ahead and trade one of the best closers in baseball. Huh. They're going to have one of the best arms available, but I think they hold on to them until the offseason. I think Brewers still win this division. I think they win with, I think, 84 games. All right, let's go into a few more of these, believe it or not. These are coming from the text line from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, Ali Marmo will still be the manager for the Cardinals when baby Luca, BK's son, enters the world. I'm due on July 8th, if that gives you any context on this. That is right before the start of the Major League Baseball All-Star break. I'm not going to believe this one. And you think Ollie's gone? Yeah, in true BK fashion, I think it's going to happen. When ba- <laughs> like the moment baby Luca enters this world, that's Ollie's, when I'll get the push notification. Ollie's yeah. going to get a phone call at the exact same moment and be like, you got to be bleeping kidding me. Really? When BK's kid was born? So, yeah, I'm going to say not when they, when they yell push, BK's going to go, oh, no. Oh, no. Not, sorry, not <laughs> no, that. No, 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 not you, Karen. Not you. <laughs> Ollie was fired. Ollie just got fired. What my push people? notification as they told you to push. <laughs> hey, Which, can you hold on a second, Karen? I got to go on the radio. Yeah, yeah, man. I did back. that with Katie. With Adelaide, I told her, I said, hey, can you like, because we wanted the baby to be born on my dad's birthday. It was like 1155. No, yeah. I well, was joking, of course, but she no. did. You don't joke when your you wife's know. like trying to push a baby out. Are you serious? I said, honey, five more minutes. <laughs> Luckily, it took her forever to push the baby you out. You are lucky you were standing next to me right yeah. now. She was, she thought it was, no, she didn't. She, she was, she was so, uh, what's that? What's the shot that they get in epidural. there? Epidural. Yeah, she is so deep in that epidural. She couldn't even respond. <laughs> Yeah, I said, I, honey, I said, five more minutes. I, I think the doctor's like, what is, what's five more minutes? Well, this is my dad's birthday. And he goes, oh, okay, five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, ah! <laughs> Luckily, it took like 15 more minutes. So don't do that, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to believe, or I am going to believe this. Sorry, I got confused. I what confused the you with the pushing. I, yeah, I, I don't think Marmol's going to be fired. I think if Ollie Marmol was fired, we'd be talking about it right now. Because it would have happened around 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock today. They would have made the announcement. I... It's too late to make this move. Again, I truly believe there is a spark to be provided by just scapegoating the manager. Problem is, is not when you're 15 games below 500. And so I think they ride out the year. I'm not saying he's going to be coaching the Cardinals in 2024 because I'm just not sure. I'm not actually sure John Mosellock's running the Cardinals in 2024. But I don't think he's fired. If he's not fired today, he's not being fired at all this season. You know he's going to get fired when baby Luke is born. I know. You know it. I I don't I think wait. they're firing him, man. I think if we were going to get this news, it was going to be out already. I don't think they're firing him. I think they believe that you've, he's not the problem. You've done the all-star break thing before, though. They have. Um, but I, I I think if they were going to do it, they would want to give themselves the greatest length of time possible to be able to get back into the standings. Yeah. And now would be the time because you have now lost five straight games. You've lost, what is it, 13 of the last 15? Like The season is quickly going off the rails. And if you wanted to make that move because you thought it was something that was going to actually jumpstart the team, you'd probably do it today. Coming up next, speaking of jumpstarting this team, Jordan Walker 
has been doing his best to try to do that for the Cardinals. Unfortunately, nobody else is pulling their own weight as well. Is it time to permanently move him up in the lineup the way that they did yesterday? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, it's time to move Jordan Walker up in the order. Now, they did this yesterday. He hit fifth for the Cardinals. Now, that was in part due to the fact that Wilson Contreras was off yesterday. He had Andrew Kisner behind the plate. However, Wilson Contreras in the month of June is batting 100. Nope, that's not a misprint. He is literally batting 100 for the month of June. Somehow, he has not been the worst hitter on the Cardinals. That right goes to the two uh, infielders that occasionally play infield. Tommy Edmond, who's been the worst hitter on the team this month, he has an OPS plus of 30. Ugh. Nolan Gorman has an OPS plus this month of 45. Wow. I didn't know you could do that low. Paul DeYoung and Wilson Contreras are both at 60. Every other Cardinals hitter is above 100 in terms, in terms of the qualified hitter so far this month. Alex, when you look at the way that the lineup should be constructed right now, I think it's really this simple. Get your best hitters the most at-bats possible. And your best hitters right now are as follows. Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Jordan Walker, Brendan Donovan, Paul DeYoung. Figure out the order that you want to put those five into the top five and use them that way. And then filter in everybody else behind them. But those five, Arenado, Goldie, Walker, Donovan, Carlson, that's your top five in the order right now. Yep. I, I said a couple of days ago, Jordan Walker should be hitting two in my lineup right now. For how consistent he has been at the plate in terms of at least twice he's going to be talking about getting on base and how hard he hits the ball. Heck, T-Bone brought it up in the office. He's the guy that runs or moves guys over and scores them when they're in scoring position. So Brendan Donovan would be leading off. Jordan Walker would be hitting two for me. And then I'd go back with Goldie Arenado 3-4. And then you said it the other day, which I kind of laughed at, but Dylan Carlson would be hitting fifth for me yep. because he's been consistent all also, and then figure out your lineup from there. But when I look at this roster, I have certain guys that get on base. I have certain guys that aren't doing anything. And the guys that aren't doing anything seem to be hitting in the two hole and the five hole and the six hole where when you get guys on no outcome performed for this Cardinals team. Yeah, they've got to move Walker up. And I, I think two or five is the spot you do it at. I, they've got to abandon the look. Contreras has got to be hitting in the top five in order. And look, I, I can totally understand if it, this was a, Small sample of a small struggle for Wilson Contreras. This has been a year-long struggle for Wilson. He's only played well in what, like a two-week stretch for the St. Louis Cardinals. Y- yes, you're not you're not signaling that he's not the guy of the future for you because he's on his contract. He's definitely the guy for you. And I'm not saying he never returns back to the top five in the order this year, but he's got to be moved down because he's hurting you in key situations right now where you've got runners on. And let's just be honest, he's not putting competitive at bats up there right now. At least when like. Uh, Arnado, though he is struggling with runners in scoring position, they've been competitive at bats. You're at least making the pitcher work. Yeah, for Contreras, like he had three strikeouts in his last game on what was that? Oh, carry the one Tuesday, uh, and he really struggled. Like I didn't think he was going to get it, touch the baseball with his bat. He's struggling that much, and he looks lost at the plate, guessing himself. He took a fastball right down the middle for strike three on his third strikeout. So until he starts performing better. 
yes, you're going to have to abandon having him in the top five. That is something that the Cardinals have to come to the conclusion of, hey, this isn't permanent. you got to be upfront and honest with him, unlike the way you handled him when you removed him from the catcher position, <laughs> and put him in the seven spot probably right now, or six. Just He cannot be in the top five of this order right now. So here's another question for you. Uh, the guy that I'm about to bring up has also not been good in his limited opportunities in the month of June. Alec Burleson is batting 118 this month. The batted ball rate's not there. Like He's just been bad so far this month as well. But you're getting basically nothing right now out of Nolan Gorman. He's striking out a ton. Um, he's not putting together quality at-bats. He's got a 50% strikeout rate this month. Would you consider... Not every day, but occasionally going to Alec Burleson at the, in that DH spot over Nolan Gorman right now. Would you consider going kind of 50-50 split with that role when you're going up against right-handed pitchers? Right now, yes, because if you've got somebody struggling for as consistent as Nolan Gorman has been, and this is the same with Wilson Contreras. I defended Wilson because I thought it was ridiculous what they did to him, but right now, I think it might need a few days off for Wilson Contreras to get his head right. So for Nolan Gorman to the same sense, yeah, if there's a two or three game set where it makes sense for me to have Alec Burleson in there over Nolan Gorman, I absolutely would do it and tell Nolan, look, struggling right now. And that's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing for you, but it's not for us. We just need you to get back right. So take a couple of days. We'll put Burleson in there. You can pinch hit if we have the opportunity, but take a couple of days to get right because obviously playing every day to get out of the slump isn't working for you. And the reason why I bring this up is because this weekend you're going up against three straight right-handed pitchers. So it it would be an opportunity potentially to be able to get Burleson out there for one of those three at a minimum. Um, I I think you're going to, this team, can't be the best version of itself unless Nolan Gorman is hitting. So if you think he just needs to hit his way out of a slump, then keep throwing him out there. The manager would have the best idea of that or the hitting coach, whoever is working with him most closely day to day on what he needs. Does he need a mental day? Does he need to be out there? Whatever. But if you think there's a chance that it's best for him to take a couple of days as a breather, this is the time probably when you would be able to do that. Yeah, and that's kind of where I side is. I I would not throw Burleson out there. I, I would keep going with Gorman and see if he can hit his way out of it because We've seen him make adjustments on the fly at the major league level. He did that last year. So I think this is just one of those stretches where, yes, he, Gorman is going to go through these in his career where he is going to have a two-week stretch where he is striking out at an unbelievable rate. I, I think you just continue to throw him out there. Now, I say you move him down in the lineup a little bit. Like, I would not have him in the top five. But I, I think you continue to throw him out there and see if he can hit his way out of it because, to your point, he is going to be one of the guys that if the Cardinals turn it around, because Gorman's helping this offense lift themselves out of this and carrying the pitching staff. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Write that down somewhere close because coming up on the other side, we're going to give you an opportunity to score a pair of weekend passes for the Evolution Festival. And we'll put a bow on this thing with some interesting comments from Albert Pujols. Are you buying what he's selling? We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been a fun show today. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Craig Button told us earlier today that nobody is afraid of the Blues defenseman. It's like the big bad wolf. Who's afraid of him? Basically the way they put it. And uh, said that you can't win with guys under the height of six foot on your blue line. You basically said if you have Tanner Hendrickson height, you can't yeah. win. Can't win with him. The only thing you're good at with Tanner Hendrickson is tennis. And even then. Not too sure. It's debatable. <laughs> debatable on whether or not they would win. Especially in terms of table tennis. His, uh, his ability for oh. ping pong has been put into question. Uh, yeah, well, basketball too. I heard the morning show saying that he, he would be the worst uh, ping pong player I've at heard the station. I've heard the balloon party when they are actually here. That, no. That Tanner, no, 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 no. Relax. That, that Tanner... Um, that Tanner doesn't know how to uh, play basketball. Oh, I have heard that. Yeah. The three-on-three stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's That's been brought up. Sorry, Tanner. It's not good at anything, man. Except Athletic for producing. Hey, hey, you're you're a hell of a producer. Hey, this is producer. blasphemy right here. We're just telling you what other people say, man. We're hey, your you friends. You can't hit a softball from second base out it's of true. the ballpark. True. Yeah. I, hey, I can't deny it. But you know what I can do? Line drives. Yeah, well, that's not worth anything. Singles, I can baby. hit it on the ground. I'm basically Single. Jordan Walker. So yeah. Single, baby. <laughs> what you want? Singles, baby. All right. So speaking of Jordan Walker, he's going to be a big part of how this thing gets turned around. If it does, let's be honest. None of us are really anticipating that happening. However, Albert Pools was on MLB Network yesterday, and he was asked, Albert, you were with this team. You know these guys. Do you think they're going to get this thing turned around? Come on. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Here's what he had to say. You know what I love about although the Cardinals are struggling this year? I went to the Coha last week when I was covering the game, and their attitude that they have, you don't see it like they're nine and, a, nine and a half games out, ten and a half games out. I mean, their attitude, that's what I like, and I think that's why they're going to come up, because these two guys are going to pick it up, and they're going to ride everybody. That, they're loaded with talent. For sure. And, and, we and, got I, a and, you t- and you talk about Jordan Walker. I know he went down, but I think he's going to be pretty special. Then you got Nolan Gorman, who's having a pretty much the MVP of the Cardinal this year. He didn't talk about Juan Yopez at all. No, he didn't. He oh. switched it. Jordan Walker's his guy yeah, now. No. Okay, good. He's uh, the next Pujols. Let's be honest, always should have been his guy if we're being totally upfront. Alex, are you buying anything that he's selling? No. Okay. Now, what he said there of them getting it going, yeah, if. Goldschmidt and Arenado become the top two candidates of MVP voting for the rest of the season. Sure, I'll buy into them making it interesting, but no, I'm not because you're relying on so many things to get corrected. And even Ollie said it yesterday. It's like we try and correct one thing that seems to be going wrong and then three other things pop up. That's not something that two guys guide you out of it. That's something that everybody's got to figure out internally. And you've dug yourself too deep to give yourself time. And I know oh, they were 10 and a half out in September. And look at what they did in 2011. That's not this team, unfortunately. So, no, I'm not buying it. Totally agree with you. I'm not buying it either. I. But. Here's the one uh, way they can pull me back. There in. it is, Tanner. The, the one way they can pull me back in. It's unlikely, but the one way they can. Trade for Shohei? That would help. I'd be in on that. I am going to be genuinely curious what this team looks like when Lars Newtbar gets back. And I'm not saying that Lars Newtbar is like the greatest player in the world and he is the cure-all to everything that is hindering the Cardinals right now. I'm not. I promise you. But when he does return, he's basically going to replace Paul DeYoung's bat in the lineup. And so you're going from a guy in Paul DeYoung who basically does not provide productive at-bats. He's not providing any of the, like, moving runners over. He's either a home run or nothing. That's that's all he's doing for you right now. 
And you're replacing that with a guy that's getting on base like 37% of the time. And oh, by the way, he makes you better defensively in the outfield. And he's going to allow Tommy Edmond to uh, probably go back into shortstop. I, I do think that helps. And Newt also provides that spark, that energy that we've been looking for. I don't I would bet against them being able to get anything going because they have proven time and time again it doesn't matter. You can change the players, you can change anything and it's going to look the same on the field. But when he returns I will be genuinely curious to see what that looks like. But it all starts this weekend. You're going up against a team that has the exact same issues as you do right now. The exact same issues. Yeah, this is the this is the series that will determine if you're a buyer or a seller. If anybody still well, believes this is the series that will allow you to even have the opportunity to have the conversation of well, changing yeah. that. Uh, from a fan's perspective, I think everybody's on board with the selling conversation. Front office wise, if you go out and lose two or three or get swept by the Mets, you're a seller, and there's no way you can defend anything otherwise because you just got beat by the exact same team as you i know we've been saying this all year but this is a super important road trip for the cardinals because their backs are now against the wall completely you're 15 games under 500 if this is a bad road trip it's the season's probably already over but if you go two and four on this road trip against the washington nationals who are terrible and the new york mets who are your peer team right now a team that was expecting to compete this year going into the season and now finds themselves completely out of the race as well uh, pack it in man your seller you can fire everybody like there's no more reason to believe in anything that this team is putting out there floating it publicly if you do go you know five and one on this road trip it does not mean they're back it doesn't but it can start to push you further in that direction on a scale of one to 10, like the one being they stink 10 being they are totally back. They'll be at like a three, but right now they're at a one and this weekend, they can make a little bit of a marginal marginal improvement based on what they do against New York. As Craig button would say, I don't want to hear from managers telling me how hard it is. Yeah. I don't want to hear how hard. I don't want to hear about trying to find a button. Tell me where the button is to get out of this. Guess what? Spend some money. All right, right now, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We've got your chance to score a pair of weekend passes for the Evolution Festival. This is coming your way August 26th and the 27th. It'll take place in Forest Park. You can see Brandy Carlisle, Black Keys, Black Crows, so many others all at the Evolution Festival. You can find details on the tickets at 101ESPN.com. Or if you are the 101st texter right now at 314-399-9646, you're going on the price of the house. What you got to do? Text in what was the restaurant that is being constructed in L.A.? What company is building a restaurant in L.A. that T-Bone told us about earlier? If you get that correct and you're texting number 101, you're getting the pair of passes to the Evolution Festival. Alex, we'll finish the show today with this. When we do our show tomorrow, when we come on the air at 11 a.m., who is the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals? Ali Marmol. If Ali was gone, Ali would have been gone by now. We would have heard about it. The fact that they're already en route to New York tells me that He's the manager at least now until the All-Star break. That's my next checkpoint to decide if he's the manager or not. But for now, tomorrow, he's the manager. Yep, I 100% agree. I think we would have already known if Ali Marmol was fired, so I think he's going to be the manager come tomorrow night in New York. I think you guys are right. And if he is the manager tomorrow night in New York, I think he will not be fired at any point prior to the All-Star break. I think that will be the next checkpoint of, and this goes back to what we were just talking about with this series that they have coming up, this road trip in New York and then in Washington. If this completely goes off the rails, you see more infighting, it looks as bad as it has, maybe then you get to the All-Star break and they do then what they did with Matheny, which is right going into the All-Star break. They make the change. That way they can implement all of that going into the second half. But 
other than that, if they don't make the move today or tomorrow, and then they don't make it at the all-star break, Ollie's going to be the manager. And we can stop asking questions, and I bet you at that point we'll hear from uh, John Mosellock, who will say publicly, we're not firing him. This is about the players. they got to start playing better. We'll see about that tomorrow night. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow morning, 11 a.m., here on 101 ESPN. The Fast Lane's coming up next on 101 ESPN. When teams line up against the St. Louis Blues and you're playing against Nick Letty and Tori Krug, there's absolutely zero fear. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.